movie podcast for Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Whoa, what are the odds? <laughs> I'm Tom Chick. I'm here with I'm here with Christian Mraskley. No, I'm I'm target practice, and you guys should probably leave me behind. And with our tagline for Rogue One, Rogue, Rogue One, uh, uh, <laughs> Kelly Wand, Kelly did Wand. Did you say Rogue Wand? I did. Yeah, with yeah, our yeah. tagline for Rogue Wand, Kelly Wand. <laughs> now, Kelly, that that might be problematic as far as like spelling that phonetically, uh, and plus that might also be copyright infringement on Bill the Cat. Mm. So, Kelly Wand, I would like you to give us an alternative. Uh, you spell with the Star Wars alphabet, though. Ah, right. You know, there's a word for that. It's Jedi. called like Oberish or something. Glossolalia. No, no, no. There's an actual Jewish. word for those characters that you see through, you know, the writing you see in the Star Wars universe. Uh, so, Kelly Wan, give us, oh, give us in the in the English letters something uh, a tagline for Rogue One. The most exciting words in the English language: Star Wars prequel. Hmm. Okay. Neat, Kelly Wan, give us a third one. I liked it till they started talking. And do you have a fourth one? I wish it had shown more felicity. Mmm. No. Uh, no, no, no. I, I, let's see. If I were to vote, Dingus, if you were to vote on those, which one would you pick? Electoral College. Let's abolish. <laughs> well, let's Kelly question. has already voted for me, so. I did? You just oh, yeah, did, I did. Just like, was, just like the actual election with the Democrats, just like the actual 2016 election, I have no idea what just happened right now. I don't know who won. I, it's very confusing. So oh, wait, the four words. I'm I'm totally just uh, I'm I'm totally confused by the uh, spelling of and, and because I can totally see the way Bill the Cat is spelled that. Uh, and then I'm thinking about uh, do do English words appear in Star Wars? Well, before we get into that, Dingus, why would we be bringing up Star Wars? What movie did we see this week that might lead to this kind of conversation? Before we get into it. <laughs> this week we saw Rogue One, colon, mm-hmm. a Star Wars story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a 2016 action-adventure science fiction Star Wars universe interstitial prequel movie about the opening crawl of A New Hope. Mm-hmm. It was directed by Gareth Edwards. Mm. And the screenplay was written by Chris Weitz. That's and Chris Weitz, Chris Weitz, uh, and Tony Gilroy, uh, with story by credit uh, to John Knoll and Gary Whitta, based on characters created by George Lucas. It stars Felicity Jones, Diego Luga, not Luga, Luga. Luga. Right. All right, it's not Diego Luga, it's Diego Luna, sorry. Um, Alan Tudyk, Donnie Yen, uh, Jiang Wen, Riz Ahmad, Mads Mikkelsen, Genevieve O'Reilly, and Warwick Davis. Mm. Someone for everyone, especially Warwick. Yeah, he is. Uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, is rated PG-13 for extended sequences of sci-fi violence and action. Mm. Kelly, did you notice how Dingus gets hung up on Diego Luna saying his name? But he has no problem saying Alan Tudyk. Yeah. Yeah. 
Kelly Wand, what things Did you know that was Alan Tudyk, by the way? No, no idea. And when I actually went to the IMDb page afterwards, and was actually, I didn't even go to the IMDb page. I saw some uh, picture of the cast members at a premiere. And I was like, what is Alec Tudyk doing there? Oh, he must have played an Imperial officer or something I didn't notice. Uh, and yeah. But he, wasn't he the voice of uh, Abe or whatever that, that fish creature was in the Hell, uh, hell not Hell Kid. What was the, what's the Benicio Del Toro comic book movie? Not Hellraiser, Hell Kid. Hell Boy. Hell, Oh, hell boy. <laughs> I was close. Uh, was Hell-ish, it Alan? I like Hell Kid. Hell Kid is yeah, when he yeah. grows up. <laughs> That's what that character's named. What he's and then he becomes Hell Teen. But was Alan Tudyk the fish person? Was that his voice in those movies? I don't know. Okay. Well, at any rate. Comedy looking version of Paul Bettany. But I had no idea that that was Alan Tudyk. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, so Kelly Wand, real quick, before we discuss the cast more, because I think we got a lot to say. Uh, Kelly Wand, what did the MPAA leave off that parents should know about if they're thinking of taking their children to see Rogue One, a Star Wars story? If I was a parent, I would have cautioned them that they'll be seeing some carbon scoring, mm-hmm. Vader full frontal, and thematic elements. Uh, Rogue One opened at number three behind um, La La Land and the third week of Moana. It only came Pretty in number good. three. Yeah. What's now, it, it is the 12th biggest opening of all time. It's between, Wait, hold on, hold on. La La Land was number two? Oh, good Lord, no, no. La La Land is too limited of a release. Uh, uh, La La Land, I think it's in the top ten, but I don't, I don't think... Actually, I say that, but I'm not really sure, Dingus. I know La La Land isn't... By virtue of being on so many screens and being a Star Wars movie, this is a big opening. I think La La Land, the only reason it's not bigger is because it's like a thousand screens or something. I don't, I don't know the numbers. All at the uh, same theater? But you know what? We will be getting into that uh, next week when we do our La La Land podcast. So, Spoiler. Uh, but uh, it, it actually opened at number one. It's the 12th biggest opening of all time. $155 million on its opening weekend. Idiots are really fond of it. It's in an A on cinema score. Not quite an A+, plus, but they're really pretty much happy with it. Uh, critics, on the other hand, if you look at the average of their ratings, it's at 65 on Metacritic. But if you look at Rotten Tomatoes... 84% of the credits are like, yeah, Star Wars, sure, go check it yeah. out, okay, yeah. fine, we're down with it. Yeah, so 84% of the reviews are positive. Now, Kelly Wand, before we <sighs> find out Sorry. where we on this podcast fall on that Rotten Tomatoes line, I would like you to spoil the entire plot of Star Wars Rogue, uh, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story <laughs> with the Rogue One, A Star Wars Storyopsis. Oh, <laughs> Kelly Wand, like Gareth Edwards, I wasn't even trying. You got it right in rehearsal. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? On the couch. Uh, Rogue Wopsis? Mm. Stop Wop Stopsis. (laughs) That's not what you did in rehearsal, by the way. I know, I got bored. Should we tell the listeners that this is a reboot of the Rogue One Star Wars Story podcast? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we we basically lost a bunch of progress. This is a reboot. We're rebooting the franchise, so it's like a special edition re-release. Yeah, so we're gonna digitally CG all of Kelly Wan's synopsis right now. Yeah, and if you oh. think if you think Peter Cushing looked weird, well, <laughs> this synopsis. All right, take it away, Kelly Wan. Just the Jeff Bridges. That, I, why don't you? Do you're spoiling all right, this. All right, all right, all right. Yet. That's a good okay. point. That's not what yeah. this is about. This is about this spoiling it. 
Well, until you actually start the synopsis, no spoiling it. So you can start the synopsis now. Rogue Wapsis, a stop Wapsopsis. Some yellow words are all on galaxy, yada yada. Instead of a star field vandalized by scrolling yellow exposition, this time we open with the jump scare of a planet doing nothing. Beside me, Dingus stands up and goes, Nice! Nice, again. He is the hero. Okay. And of those Imperial It never happened. That never happened. Except in Star, in Star Trek. The thing is, he stood up and did a fist pump, too. It wasn't just standing up. Yeah. What are you saying didn't happen? The nice thing never happened. That's totally fiction. I, I invite the listeners to fact check what Dingus is saying at Snopes.com. <laughs> One of those Imperial shuttles made out of foldy triangles flies down to it and flies and flies. Like in Prometheus, it parks far, far away from its destination. Some stormtroopers get out, accompanied by an Imperial officer with annoying eyes and a sinister gray beret. <laughs> From inside the house, a man with Spanish hair, Mads Nicholson, watches them approach. He's all, Shit, Admiral Mendelssohn. Looks like we're ripping off the Inglorious Bastards opening also. Uh, here, wife character, take this gun, stand in plain view of our enemies, and don't shoot till they do. Oh, and uh, don't aim. Child Felicity, you stand in the grass and don't run away until the scene goes on forever. Forrest Whitaker walks on screen and goes, I'm not my Battlefield Earth character in this, by the way. <laughs> Travolta's. So, yeah. Okay. He puts an oxygen mask to his face and inhales blue velvet, then walks off. Admiral Mendelssohn approaches Nad, standing in front of his out-of-focus house. Mendelssohn's all... Been a long time, Jaden. But farming? I thought your character was a battle station architect. <laughs> wow, that's your Mendelssohn. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like Paul Lynn. I think it's kind of improved, actually. I like, I like, like this Mendelssohn. Since, since the Animal Kingdom synopsis, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that guy? <laughs> Nads looks around. I didn't even know that was Nads, by the way. Stop saying that. Nad looks around. He's all farming. Where are you getting that? It's grass. It takes place in the backyard. Because <laughs> that's where you play with the action figures. Breaking it down, Juan. Thank you. Beside him, his wife's all, I've got a good feeling about this. She explodes. Child Felicity's all, Mommy, no. <laughs> I have a good feeling about this Felicity Jones impression. Uh, everything becomes Australian in my ham-fisted lyrics. The explosion hands her a necklace graced with the shard of plastic glinting dully from it. The exploding mom's all, Remember, Gina, as long as you wear this crystal, you can only be killed by Death Stars. Mendelssohn snaps his fingers at the yawning stormtroopers. 1138, Stinky, the daughter, chase her around there. <laughs> After the stormtroopers just shake their fists at her and give her a three-minute head start, the kid runs into the only visible structure nearby, a cave with a fake rock in it. She lifts it up and climbs in. She waits in the dark while John Williams' music plays triumphantly until Forrest Whitaker <laughs> lifts the rock up and shouts... Don't worry, you'll be safe down here. 
I'll come back in 30 years. This was the eighth rock I checked, by the way. Fuck, they're standing right behind me listening. Good luck. I mean, good force. Um, she's in this fake rock. I mean, not. Not in it. She's... He starts to shut it, but the stormtroopers arrest everybody. Some words are all... A moderate time later in the same galaxy as before. Ellipsis. There's a shot of a planet doing nothing again. Dingus remains seated. Some more words are all... Some more words are all a different planet name. Probably ends with Antoine. An Italian man rides an elephant with a toupee on it on screen. A bunch of chittering slugs and boogers wearing goggles suddenly bar his path. He's all, Mamma mia, my good friend uh, Ned's the father character. He making a spicy meatball called the Death Star. He uh, tell me to tell someone else in the movie. Hey, uh, Santa Maria. The boogers roll their eye stalks and put a bag over his head. I look over at the laser sitting beside me and go, Been on that day. Meanwhile, Felicity farts awake at Imperial Jail. The alien pancreas in the bunk opposite her grunts and starts melting. Felicity's all, Everything reminds me of me dead! Suddenly, a Frenchman and C-3PO walk in and shoot things. As she tries to run away, C-3PO pile-drives her into the concrete and goes, Congratulations, you're now prisoner of the Rebel Alliance. I'm black in this, by the way. The Frenchman's all, Welcome to the Resistance! Eh? Oh. They fly her to Yav in 1977, where General Dodo Anna and Mon Mothra are staring down at that big strategy tray of radio channel CG from Episode 4. Looks like that land speeder, uh, like, fender thing, you know? Mon Mothra's all, this thing's pretty boring to look at without a Death Star in it. I lean over to the Christmas special sitting beside me and go, yeah, in the original draft of Star Wars, Kenobi killed Vader and stood at that thing too in the scene. But that would have made him more powerful than we can imagine. So they killed him all. General Dodano's all, I'm the only character from the first Star Wars movie not to get an action figure. But it's not like I oversaw any military action of significance in the final act of that film. Wait, that was General Dodonna? That sounded like yeah. the, the monk, that calamar, it's a trap guy. Uh, Admiral, what's his name? No, Sorry. it's like, it's Tom. Okay, I say. Did you, did you say it's, Akbar. It, 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 it be, it's a trap guy? Yeah, yeah. Admiral Akbar is the it's a trap guy. Isn't yeah, it? Akbar, he's, it's Akbar. You, you, nobody calls him it's the it's a trap guy. I couldn't think of his name until Kelly said it. But anyway, Kelly's Dodonna sounded like Admiral Akbar, which it's I found. It's like calling Ernest the Hayburn guy. Dodonna. Wait, Ernest? Dodario. Ernest? The, oh, those are. I'm not sure I knew that Ernest and the Hayburn guy are different. They're not. They're, di- They're not. Oh, oh, okay. Quit, quit trying to trick me. That's a me. good point, though, Tom. That's true. <laughs> Didn't know that. Now back to the Star Wars offices. Already <laughs> progress. Felicity's all. So far, all I've done with me life is hide in a cave and sit in a jail cell since age six. That's how Felicity Jones taught in Star Wars. <laughs> Snarling. Australian accent. Mon Mothra's all, which is why we've agreed you'll make the perfect revolutionary. The Frenchman's all, ho Felicity's all, I don't know. I mean, okay. Finally, people I can trust. The Rebel Alliance. 
Hopefully me skills with fake rocks will come in handy. So where's me lightsaber? Mon Mothrazal. Uh, yeah, at this point in the chronology, the only lightsabers in existence are Vader's and the one in Obi-Wan's toy box. But don't worry, you'll be using this. They enter a thick book titled The Idiot's Guide Removing Death Star Plans from Cylinders by Manipulating 18th Century Steel Calipers, a Star Wars story. <laughs> Mon Mothra's all. We need you to rescue an Italian from Forrest Whitaker, then make a speech that will hopefully motivate self-interested criminals of myriad alien races to go on a suicide mission for a floppy disk. Frenchman, you pop a cap on her dad first chance you get. We probably should have done that before he made the Death Star, actually. The Frenchman's all... Maybe Ixnay on references to me killing the dad in front of what's-her-face here. Felicity squints at the book cover and goes, What's steel? Some words are all, A planet or moon sort of brown like tattooing, but called 80 do. The Frenchman, Black 3PO, and Felicity tiptoe through an imperial parade on a desert city street lined with scowling aliens. The Frenchman's all, Ho ho! <laughs> I hate my life. Whatever we do, mon ami, we must remember to keep a low profile, hide all incriminating jewelry from view, and try to blend in. An ADAP pilot points at Black 3PO and goes, Hey, what's one of our Imperial droids doing with that French rebel and the girl who escaped from our cell? Black 3PO's all. This act needs a polished pass. Suddenly, a blind Asian person with a wooden quarterstaff points at Felicity's necklace and goes, Oh! Why do you wear Minakori's necklace? You must be an important character. I will become part of your group. He starts walking around in circles, chanting, I am the Force, and I have a little Jedi in me. How much wood would a woodchuck chuck? I am the Force, and I have a little Jedi in me. How much wood would a woodchuck chuck? The Frenchman's all, Foie gras, monsieur. You shall fit right in. A fatter Asian with a chain gun plugged into a wall socket walks on screen and goes, <laughs> I think I'm his friend. My name's probably something like Kars Kutorza. <laughs> this time the Frenchman's not interested, but the guy joins them anyway. Suddenly everyone starts murdering the stormtroopers, so Felicity and her friends get captured by Forrest Whitaker. When the audience wakes up, Whitaker's taking hits from his oxygen mask while everyone removes sacks from the heads of Felicity, the Frenchman, Black 3PO, and Blindstick Johnny. As they take his bag off, Blindstick Johnny's all, Ha ha, I'm blind. I also <laughs> shut my eyes and not pay any attention to my other senses the whole way here. I got you three ways, thanks to the power of the force. <laughs> oh. I don't need bailing to commemorate the Asian culture. I look over at Admiral Mahdi sitting beside me and go, I know which character I am. Whitaker's all, My God, I had no idea I was capturing you, Felicity, when I ordered them to capture you. What a twist. He grabs a vacuum cleaner nozzle by accident and gets it stuck to his tongue, choking. Felicity's all, I like you for making me go down into that fake rock, but I'm angry at you for saving me. In fact, my feelings are too complex in this scene to properly convey, so I'll just let me body language do the talking. She just stands there. 3PO golf claps. She's all, Speaking of which, why'd you want the Italian? 
Whitaker shrugs. Beside me, Dingus stands up and goes, Nice! <laughs> Just like he did that one time in real life. Whitaker's all, If you think I'm interesting, where do you see this hologram your father left me to show you in case you ever arbitrarily showed up? He pushes a button on the vacuum cleaner, which spews dust all over him. 3PO golf claps again. Eventually, Whitaker finds the right switch, and a transparent hologram of Nads flutters vaguely into view. Felicity's all, He's as blue and transparent as I remember. <laughs> the hologram scowls at Felicity and goes, By the time you see this, I'll still be alive for a couple scenes. Also, uh, just a heads up to our Chinese fans, I'm a hologram, not a ghost. But there's even more good news. I've done the Empire's bidding and made a giant space station that can destroy entire planets in two seconds. Or in this movie, small desert settlements over the course of 20 minutes. But since I'm a scientific genius, I put a small hole in its trench just big enough for a blonde first-time pilot force adept to blow it up by letting himself be nagged by an old man's ghost. You're welcome. The Frenchman's all. Jacques Cousteau! Totally different accent. Felicity's all. That's neat, Papa. <laughs> but why don't you just implant a self-destruct sequence or make the station itself unstable or fill the super laser tank with sugar? Her mom's explosions ghosts all. <laughs> Felicity, would you rather see the Empire plant flags on every planet in the galaxy? Felicity's all. I just won't look up. Boy, will they feel like idiots. Whitaker's all. Well, if you were looking up, you still wouldn't be able to see other planets' flags. They'd be hundreds of millions of miles away. You'd only see the one for the planet you're on if you look down. Um, Nads is all. Speaking of which, the Death Star is starting to blow you guys up, so I need to go. I want to kick back and watch the explosion. I told them where you are to buy you time. Good luck! <laughs> the ground starts inceptioning towards them. Over the deafening earthquake and falling buildings, blind-stick Johnny's all, I foresense that the planet we're on has geological issues. <laughs> Whitaker's all, I'll stay behind. Your ship only has room enough for everyone. But they're already airborne. As Whitaker dies of talking, the Frenchman flies their ship in a straight horizontal line away from the oncoming wave of sand CG. Black 3PO's all. Um, wouldn't it be smarter if we flew upwards, like out of that wave's path? The fat Asians all. I'm afraid we have no choice. The writer of this film also wrote Prometheus. The donut ship chased Charlie's straight line. <laughs> oh. Here we are. Johnny's all. Oh, Prometheus! That's the movie that turned me blind. Felicity's all. Oh, I can't look up. Like I said in my speech, I have astigmatism. Eventually, the sand CG loses interest and they fly to a planet made out of cliffs, landing undetected near an Imperial military installation's back porch. The Frenchman aims a sniper rifle at Nads's head while Nads talks to Admiral Mendelssohn. Mendelssohn's all. Governor Tarkin was really CG when he talked to me earlier about how awesome your Death Star is. You could say the valleys of his cheeks looked uncanny. Also, Vader force choked me while told me not to choke on my ambition. What a nub. 
nads is all, yes, he said something similar to me when he caught me masturbating during a meeting about power couplers, the elitid scene, hopefully. By the way, my character hates your character. As he listens to their conversation, the Frenchman's eyes start to slip shut. He nods off. Suddenly, a bunch of rebel ships show up and start murdering the stormtroopers. <laughs> Nads is all, Force be praised! I am rescued! <laughs> the rebel ships all shoot him. Felicity suddenly emerges from a nearby fake rock and runs over. Papa! Papa! Good news! I finally have a black friend! A droid! We are not friends. Felicity, you are crushing my pancreas! He pretends to die, then explodes. The Frenchman's all. C'est magnifique. On the upside, I procrastinated shooting him, thereby granting him this much slower, more painful death. Uh-huh. All the aliens and rebels gather around while Mendelssohn rolls his eyes and leaves. Walrus man's all. What now, Felicity? Felicity stands up, looks into the camera, and goes, When I first got to 80, do I was just Felicity, the fake rock enthusiast. But since I met you all, I've heard a Frenchman laugh, become friends with the droid... Wrong. <laughs> Jar Jar's all. Mrs. Spinoff not come out till March. And flown away from a super laser. Dianoga tits have probably been closest to you throughout all this. One of the monsters blushes and molts. But if we quit now, and we're no better than the rebellion. And what's the point of not fighting if there ain't no franchise to come back to? Blindstick Johnny's all. Now I have a speech that I desire to give. <laughs> Felicity's all. I guess what I'm trying to say is, as long as there's hope, who needs tactics? The camera drifts gradually down towards her boobs. So let's go get those desktop plans from that other round thing. Because if we don't... She shrugs and belches. Everyone cheers and runs away. As Felicity gets aboard the ship... <laughs> Johnny tries to talk. No one's there. Uh, uh, what's the name of the movie again? Uh, Disney's on the phone. <laughs> Use the force to say random words using your mouth. Okay. Uh, hello, Disney. Uh, this spaceship you called, its name is Rogue One. Episode three and one half. A Star Wars story. Rotten Tomatoes score 84. Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> My Mothra walks over to Jimmy Smith's and goes, Hey, I almost mentioned this 40 years ago. Whatever happened to the only Jedi left alive? Smith shrugs. Just hanging out on a desert planet. Coincidentally, Darth Vader's home. Why? <laughs> Mothra's all. His ability to make non-fake gestures with his hand to make stormtroopers retarded may become of minor use. Send someone to annoy him, preferably someone experienced in undercover work and suitably obscure, who won't be instantly recognized by everyone in Moss Eisley the second she sets her foot there. <laughs> He's all... I know, just the 20-year-old. Wait, shouldn't we loop in Yoda on this? He destroyed a lot of chairs, dueling the Emperor back in Ep 3. Mothra's all... Nah. Meanwhile, Mendelssohn walks into Darth Vader's bathroom and watches him take a shower for a few minutes. Enjoying yourself, Commander. Vader drops the soap. Mendelssohn's all. <laughs> Lord Vader, the Death Star is almost perfectly round now. To show off its destructive capabilities, we reported those two cities we destroyed were actually the results of food poisoning and email hacks. <laughs> uh, Sir, you shower with the lightsaber? 
It's the only way I can reach my back. Meanwhile, based on Felicity's speech, her Asian friends attack the shield generator placed on Andor, while the robots and Frenchmen assist her on board the Empire's evil library in finding the proper microfiche. Down on Andor... Done. Just as the Italian was about to perform some noble sacrifice, he exploded randomly. The force is with us. Don't worry, the force has given me a brilliant idea inspired by the classic Fast and Furious 7 set piece, Vin Diesel versus Quiff. And also by C-3PO at the beginning of episode 4. He stands up and walks through the middle of the intense laser crossfire, chanting, The force is the force, of course, of course. The force is the force, of course, of course. An Imperial commander's all, He's blind, run! As an exploding walker falls into a bunch of cheering rebels, Orkins flies by at a snowspeeder going, Hey guys, I found a real easy way to kill these things. <laughs> Just shoot one of their legs. Like, sun shield it. Get the cables. We don't need... I'll just remind you all later after the trench battle. We don't have any overweight listeners. By chanting and walking, blind sick Johnny finally reaches the detonator someone forgot to remove from the middle of the battlefield. Oh, I just taught us something. I can use the, just the force to make my eyes able to see again. Oh, that's better. Holy shit, I'm surrounded by stormtroopers. He dies of fear. The fat Asian rolls his eyes, plugs his gun's extension cord into a wall socket, then walks towards the stormtroopers, going, Well, I'm Asian, and it works for him. I'm the force. The force is... <laughs> <laughs> The last rebel left alive, Mr. Spock, drags himself across the bodies, places his hand on the detonator while the remaining stormtroopers wait for him to talk, and goes, May my dying gesture show the Empire what we aliens think of super lasers. He hits the button. The planet explodes. Meanwhile, in the Empire's library basement, the Frenchman falls to his death, clattering his head nuts noisily against a bunch of girders on his way down. Keyboard Felicity's all. Actually, never mind. I found the on off switch here by me foot. Suddenly, Mendelssohn walks on screen. Felicity's all. This is the Rebels for killing. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's always something easy. Felicity's all. This is for the Rebels killing me father. She starts trying to pull her gun out of its holster. Mendelssohn walks around until he finds an updraft that makes his white cape billow, then goes, <laughs> Felicity, I've eagerly awaited this showdown. Ever since a Star Destroyer comes crashing through the window, killing all of them. In an X-Wing, Tope leaders all, Woohoo! Looks like they didn't make their door jam Star Destroyer proof. Cool, now we don't even have to use our laser. Suddenly the Death Star shows up and kills everyone. We cut to a Rebel IT guy sitting on a monitor screen. <laughs> He's sitting at it, actually. <laughs> on it. He's on a Corvette. He's sitting at a monitor screen. We clear. 
Watching a download bar slowly fill. Lauren Green's all. Anything? Well, the graphics are from 1977, but they're also in 3D. What was the question? Suddenly Vader comes in, killing everyone. Lauren Green's all, get this to someone random. <laughs> he fake tosses the floppy disk to the tech support guy, then hits him in the face with it as hard as he can. As John Williams' music plays, the disc is thrown, kicked, and vomited through slamming doors and dying hands eventually to... Uh, Princess C.G. Fisher? Uh, you ever going to turn around? Sorry, that PA tastes just like Harrison. I mean, I may not know what's on this floppy disk you just handed me, but hopefully it's Bob Hope. There's a shot of the Death Star not blowing up. Beside me, Dingus stands up and goes, Nice! Yeah. Some yellow words. Some yellow words tell me who mo-capped Tarkin's cheekbones, while John Williams' theme insists I should feel exhilarated. Goofy walks on screen over the rolling credits and goes, Coming up in Rogue 2, see how the ice froze on Hoth! <laughs> I lean over to Lucas sitting beside me and go, Okay, so maybe it's not you. The end. <laughs> Kelly Wan, thank you very much. Jesus. Gosh. I think Blightstick Johnny was my favorite character. He's was part of the lore now. He's part of canon. Uh, so, Kelly Wand, my, my deepest fear is that Dingus might have kind of liked this movie. Really? Let's find out. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Let's find out. Like 84% is pretty high. All right. Well, Dingus, what are your over and under for just you're, to sort of triangulate how you feel about Star Wars or uh, you're, Rogue you're, in Star Wars? Your deepest fear is that I might have liked this movie? A little, yeah, because you went with your son, and you're, he's kind of, you know, he's an impressionable young man. and But he's also picky. Mm, well, let's find out. Yeah. I'm just a little concerned that I'd, I'd love to spend, you know, the next 30 minutes, hour, just bagging on this movie, but I'm going to feel bad doing that if you were kind of into it. Okay, my under, my over and under are basically based on Uncanny Valley, and that's it. Mm, okay. Um, so, uh, uh, because I think that's the biggest problem with this, because I, I did really like this movie. Oh, I knew it, um, Kelly Wand. I knew it. See, Kelly Wand? I'm jealous. I'm super envious of this. Because I actually thought it was kind of a good idea, but it's not very... I don't even... I'm not even going to give it that much. But, but wait, hold on. Hold on a second. So, Dingus, go ahead. So, based on movies with uncanny valleys, where does this fit in? Uh, but you should also know that my son, a 12-year-old, mm -hmm. hated it. See? I knew it. You can always trust Kierden. He's the one who yep. ruined Iron Man 3 for me. So I yep. always... And I'm curious his barometer Basically, is. along the same lines as he hated that, he, hated, he really did not like this at all. So I'm so proud of him. Good work, yeah, Kieran. I, I figured that would probably be the case. Skips uh, a generation. So anyway, I, my Uncanny Valley thing is uh, under I would put Suicide Squad, uh, and over I would put uh, Captain America Civil War for the uh, the young Tony Stark thing. Um, I think the... Uh, the Uncanny Valley thing that happens with Bram uh, of Tarkin and to a lesser extent with uh, Princess Leia almost scuttles part of this movie. I, don't, I, I think there are so many other options they could have gone with. Um, but, what was yeah. the Uncanny Valley? Who was the animated character in Suicide Squad? I'm not remembering. Well, it's not an animated character. It was my, uh, my impression of how Jared Leto's... Uh, Interpretation of he looked uh, in Joker. No, he it, it it had that that same sense to me. It's like it's a little too close. 
you know, the Uncanny Valley thing is that, you know, is is that robots are close but not close enough. And the things that uh, Jared Leto was doing in that were close but not close enough. And But there's nothing that would be close enough because of what he was doing. And it really ruined a lot of – it ruined all of the Joker in that movie for me. Um, if you understand kind of what I'm talking about as far as the way robots work and the Uncanny Valley idea. And that's what I talked about during Suicide Squad. Well, the Tarkin scenes are really brief. Like, to me, the problem with the movie is the first half's really boring, and then the second half's kind of perfunctory. Well, Kelly, what would be your over-under, then? What's a movie that's not quite as good, and what's a movie that's slightly better? Um, Well, my over, I didn't like this movie, but I put episode seven above it, because it was less boring, I thought, Uh than this. And it made me appreciate episode seven more. Okay, first of all... Well, we're adults here. We are. We should not be calling them Episode Four, Episode Seven. It's Empire Strikes Back, Kelly Wand. It's Star Wars. Don't call it Episode Four and, and enable the studio shenanigans that are going on with all this retconning and putting it. It's called Star Wars. It's called Empire Strikes Back. You know, I. It, it's called to- A New Hope, as we know why <gasps> from this movie because of the all the times they say the word hope. Oh, thank God you. Yeah. See, Kelly Wand wasn't being facetious when he was talking about Episode Seven. Kelly Wand. Empire Strikes Back. Say it with me. Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back. Very good. Very good. All right. That's, so that's episode your, seven? That, wait. Six? Hold on. No. Four, five, six. He's talking oh, about Phantom Force Awakens, Tom. Phantom Men- Oh, shoot. All right. Phantom Menace is one. He, All he, right. didn't like, he didn't like Force Awakens, and he's no, grudging, grudgingly admitting. Right. Guys like me, though, I, I shouldn't have to do math to know what Star Wars movie you're talking about. It's called Force Awakens. Wait, you thought all that time you weren't fucking with me that I missed? No, I thought you were really putting Empire Strikes Back above this. Oh. No, of course not. Empire no, Strikes Back, way worse than Rogue One. Actually, I was even thinking Return of the Jedi. I even screwed up the titles. I was thinking, yeah, anyway, I did math and English poorly in terms of responding to your pick. It's boring. It's the same as Godzilla, but kind of boring. It's like oh. the first half, nothing happens, Ooh. and then the second half, you can't really see what's happening. Like, he's always denying you. So you're saying this isn't quite as good as Force Awakens? Yeah. Force Awakens annoyed the hell out of me, but I wasn't... I didn't sit there, like, going, oh, my God, like I did during this movie. Well, then what's something that this is better than? Um, okay, Close Encounters, the special edition, was, like, this... That's my under... It was a Close Encounters, like, re... Issue that came out a couple of years after Close Encounters. You get to see where he goes inside the mothership. Inside the spaceship, yeah. And it was super boring, and it was really brief. And so it was something where it made me wait to see something I'd already seen, but then made me wish that they hadn't bothered. And so I felt that more extremely during Close Encounters than I did during this, because this was something I felt I'd already seen, but probably wasn't worth the effort to make. Like, it didn't give me any new memories to cherish. I don't know. It's just part of the bastardization of Star Wars. A Star Wars movie used to be exciting. It used to be a really seminal event. And now we get them every year, and they're kind of like nothing. They're just like bumpers. Hmm. Well, I would rank this as far as uh, follow-ups to great movies. Uh, and even though I've got issues with Star Wars, and I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a good movie. I love Star Wars. Uh, I think it's a, a great experience. It's a, it's a watershed moment in the history of movie making. Uh, and as far as follow-ups to those kinds of moments... I would put this above a follow-up to another all-time great movie called Jaws. I think that this movie is slightly better than Jaws 4, The Revenge. 
<laughs> I, however, think this movie is not quite as good as Jaws 3, the one where Dennis Quaid is the... Uh, Jaws 3 Jaws 3 is kind of a prototype for Jurassic Park. It's the amusement park yeah. gone wrong where Jaws swims into SeaWorld, and it's a 3D movie, actually, and messes yeah. up SeaWorld. And it's a terrible movie, by the way. Jaws 3, horrible. Uh, I think this is a mirthless artless and almost entirely inept movie. I loathed this and I you know I'm not the least bit surprised it's by the guy who gave us Godzilla. And I also think I think the plot is terrible and I think the script is terrible. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the cast has there's not a single character in this movie who couldn't have been played by someone else. There's not a single memorable performance in this movie other than goofy memorable for goofy reasons like that who wrote off by the way on this Tarkin who the heck wrote off on that and then thought, yeah, that fits in this movie? That right there is – that's the level of ineptitude that I feel Rogue One exhibits throughout. You uh, didn't like Tudyk because I thought he was the one – I didn't think – I mean there were a couple, of cute bi- a couple of cute lines that the black robot had, but no, not really. And I'm not even sure it fit. Like I, the, droids fighting is a stupid bit from the prequels. That wasn't really in Star Wars. Like Star Wars had this idea that that droids were kind of like clowns who sat off to the side. They didn't really like a, they're slaves. Even, yeah, yeah, exactly. You, and you bought and you sold them exactly. And you couldn't give them a gun to fight with. So it's a little weird that suddenly, like, yeah, it's a combat droid. Which I guess it's a it's a, it's supposed to be a bridge between those stupid Roger Roger droids and the C three PO's. I don't know. I don't know. But no, I was not that crazy about the Alan Alan Tudyk robot. Um, because Felicity, I thought, is huge, hugely miscast. I don't even know what... Like, I remember thinking she was really cute in True Story, where she plays Jonah Hill's wife, and that kind of fit. I mean, she's a, she's a gorgeous woman, but when you've got a schlubby guy like Jonah Hill, you kind of... There's a specific casting delicate line you have to walk on when you cast his wife. You don't want it to be a real-looking person. It has to still be a Hollywood actress. And, but Felicity Jones has this cute little mousiness to her that totally worked in True Story, but I don't know what they were thinking casting her in this. And part of it, too, is she can't hold a candle to Daisy Ridley. You know, Daisy Ridley was a revelation, and she cannot fill those Daisy Ridley shoes at all. Uh, and I, part of it's the script, but I just, as an actress, she didn't offer anything for me here. I... I, you know, no chemistry between anyone. I wasn't even sure. Is there, I mean, and I guess they were trying to do a romantic connection with Diego Luna, but I never, like, the few times that they pretended to be. Yeah, I was like, wait a minute, is that supposed to be a romantic connection blossoming? I'm not real clear on that. Uh, so at any rate, I could, I, so Dingus, I feel bad because I was, I was a little worried that this might on certain levels work for you and that I was going to come across like a real dick talking about how much I hate it. So I want to hear, Dingus, what things worked for you. Let's, let's have some good stuff about this movie from you. Well, first of all, let me just say that uh, the reason uh, my son hated this movie is that all five of his favorite characters were killed. And that's one of the reasons I thought Kelly might like the movie. Mm. I think it was... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Kelly. Sorry, you were going to say, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I cut you off. You were well, just, gonna... They all had to die because we don't see them later, so it has to justify that. So they're kind of doomed from the outset. So it's all not, sort of... It's just Not part necessarily. Of I think you can justify that if you want to, like, farm them off to another, uh, uh, another mission or, you know, retire them or whatever. But, uh, you know, I felt kind of bad that I didn't front-load him that what we were 
in for, and I didn't know this because I, I don't watch trailers and I don't, I, I, di- I did know what this, where this movie was going to fit in, but this is essentially a suicide mission. Um, and it's really upsetting to him in much the same way that you ta- brought up about uh, Iron Man 3. It's really upsetting to him when his favorite characters die and when. Um, uh, but he found five in it to gravitate to. That impresses me. Because that's I only, what I. Yeah. When when K is it K two S O is that the name of the when when that when the droid is killed we were both hugely upset and as more characters that he liked got killed uh, and that keep and that kept happening he just started to fold his arms over his chest because he really liked these characters and he doesn't like that he doesn't like his characters that he likes to be killed but there's no other way to do this movie and I think that's really actually a a pretty bold thing to do. And I mean, um, you know, we've got like three, three listeners who wrote in, uh, all of them liked it. Uh, and our listener TJ said that they actually killed all the members of rogue one is, is something that he thinks is a huge pro. And I think it is too. I think it's a really bold thing to do because the, and kind of, kind of finally get my way around to answering your question, Tom, is that I don't think this is a kid's movie. I think it's a political movie. I think it's a political and, and kind of trying to be a war movie kind of a movie. Um, and I, I really like that about it. I really admire it about it. And, and as I was sitting there watching with my kid, I kind of started to feel embarrassed and look around at this, you know, full uh, auditorium of other adults who are watching it and wondering, should I have brought my kid to this movie? Because it's not a kid's Star Wars movie. It's more of an adult movie. And that's what I, that's what I kind of admire about it. I mean, it, I it is, it is inter- I use the word interstitial because it is kind of a placeholder. It is, is it is Disney. Like we're going to put something in the middle of, you know, between episode seven and episode eight to keep your interest. Um, but I like that it's more adult. Uh, I, to me, it seems that I'm, I'm imagine I'm with you on this, Kelly Wand. Uh, I would give it props for that if I thought that the whole idea worked. Uh, and I think this is the same approach to filmmaking. And how do you cash in on a, on a franchise that led the prequel to The Thing astray and that led Prometheus astray in that it answers questions that nobody asked. Cared about. Yeah, The Thing is the thing prequel is about, hey, how did an axe get into the wall here? Well, we're going to explain it to you. We're going to break it all down. And it was pointless. I mean, it was just kind of retreading very poorly what they did very well in The Thing. Prometheus. What's the deal with those fossilized aliens and that sort of telescope astronomy thing? And I answered that. No one cared. It was suitably eerie and it was weird. It didn't need to be explained. This is a movie that's like, okay, how can we cash in on Star Wars? J.J. Abrams is doing the official follow-up. You know, we've got the prequels. Where can we, you know, where can we fit in a story? Nobody cares about, you know, it, it's sufficiently alluded to about these plans to the Death Star and that, you know, I think there's a line about many both sides. Yeah, Bothans. And you got the sense that, oh, okay, there yeah. was some shadowy spy network. This is like making a sequel to Casablanca that explains how uh, Victor Laz – no, whatever, Victor. The prequel. Well, no, no, right. It's like saying, how do we follow up on, uh, on Casablanca? I know. We're going to explain how Victor got the visas. 
that he's bringing to Casablanca. Nobody cares. You know, that is not the point of Star Wars. The people who made this movie have no idea what makes Star Wars good, I feel. Uh, and they were shunted into this little dead end with this idea that, hey, let's, let's explain how we have this basically huge heroic battle, but none of the characters are around in the other movie. So, you know what? We have to kill them because they didn't appear in the next three movies. So this is going to be a one-off. So, yeah, we'll just blow them all up at the end. Uh, and I don't think I, – I can't give them props for basically pulling a dead-end idea that is silly out, out of a bin somewhere. Um, so I think that, that's one of the problems. That's just the story and the script itself. The writing, I think, is just terrible. But I think from the beginning, yeah. that, that's a flawed approach is let's answer this, this ancillary question that I feel was sufficiently answered. And by the way, this whole – like I could nerd out on this whole idea that, oh, this is immediately before the Star Destroyer catches up with the Corellian Corvette over Tatooine, really. I mean there's so <laughs> many holes in this. Yeah, because Vader goes to Leah, oh, you're – like, she goes, no, we're a diplomatic mission. What are you talking right. about? But if they were just in a space battle with them I five she, seconds in, earlier – Exactly. She was in, uh, the, like, this blockade runner. And it's, it's yeah. Corellian Corvettes are blockade runners. It's instead like a little spit-out ship that comes out of another ship. And, and right. you know, they see it and it flies away. And, yeah, there's no sense. I mean there's this idea in Star Wars that there's a Senate. And then there's a rebellion, and then there's an empire. And the Senate has been collaborating with this underground rebellion, and they get busted, you know, with the princess. And, and there's all these factions, and they're already lumped together in this one big battle here. There's the resistance, the rebellion, and I guess Leia's part of the Senate and the princess. I mean, what, it, it just makes no sense, and it answers questions that were, that were answered just fine in Star Wars. Um, and as I said in our Prometheus podcast, this would be like, hey – Let's make a prequel to The Exorcist, and we're going to explain what the noise is in the attic when Ellen Burstyn hears it. It's a, the fact that that's not answered is part of what makes it brilliant. Um, so I just feel that this is a, a, a terrible approach to a one-off Star Wars. I think it could have been good, though. I don't know. I, I, like, totally I can see decide. You can go see good, Kelly One. What were you saying? No, just like I still think... I think what Tom's saying is too. Like I don't. I think we're better off without the answers to that. But if say you were like saddled with that assignment and you had to do it because otherwise it was just going to happen anyway, you could make a kind of Saving Private Ryan sort of Star Wars movie. Which you can see they one running battle. They were playing with that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they they gave they gave freaking World War Two helmets. I mean, we know what the rebels wear in battle, right. and, and Garth Edwards or whoever is like, hey, let's put on these sort of uh, G.I. Joe helmets. And I mean that from the World War II era, not the toys. Let's give them these G.I. helmets. Uh, what? I mean, that, that, that made no sense to me. We know how rebels dress in battle. We've seen that. It looks cool. We see it a few times here. You know, beige stormtroopers, really? <laughs> That's their contribution? They're giving us beige stormtroopers and G.I. helmets. That's great. Yeah. That's, yeah. But don't you see the political back and forth that they're doing with that, even with the beach stuff, but with all of this? I do want to hear. I mean, isn't that idea. interesting to you? No, I do want to hear your idea about what, what the politics are because I don't. I, I think it was either lost on me or I was just too fed up with it. But uh, explain what what are the what are the political points the movie makes? I'd be curious to hear. All right. Well, uh, first of all, I think that the movie lays it out for you right at the be- at the beginning um, that we're we're in for. Uh, an idea of, of empire versus uh, 
rebellion or, or or what the difference is between peace and terror, or what the difference is between um, overwhelming force versus uh, a, a ragtag fugitive fleet or whatever. So and and what the nature of, of what actual terrorism is you know uh, being an assassin um the the that the attack on in the jetta city uh, uh you know i think all of those things are very much trying to lay this groundwork of uh of of an idea of what is actual terrorism and what is now, what's the difference between uh, b- between <laughs> uh, between what uh, a group of rebels does to get their world back or to get their universe back and against an overwhelming force? And how is that terrorism uh, or is is that terrorism or is that resistance? And what's the difference between those two things? Because. I mean, I was constantly struck by, and even you know, my kid leaned over, and and I mean, he had, he was having a hard time understanding. He's like, I don't feel anything more for the, the rebels than I do for the empire. I mean, they both seem to be doing the same kind of crappy Terrorism. things to each other. Yeah. I mean, he's like, I, I don't feel anything more for these people than those people. And that, that attack in that Jetta city is essentially looks like an, an ISIS attack or, or, well, Mujahideen is what I was thinking. Like the, yeah. 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 And, and, and my kid even said the way they're dressed, they look like, they look like ISIS. I mean, he's, he understands that based on, you know, images from the news. So what I think this movie was kind of forcing us to look at is, you know, what, what is this, what are, what are, mess, what are weapons of mass, destru- mass destruction and how do you fight against those? So how do you fight against an empire if you were being occupied? And if we were occupied as a country, how would we fight? And would we be considered terrorists or would they be considered terrorists? Now, what's the difference between peace and terror and in, in trying to enforce, uh, what you want out of your freedom. And I think that this movie is for that reason is, is advancing those political ideas. And when, even when, um, when Jin is saying like, I don't have the luxury of having political opinions. I've never had that in my life. I don't have those luxuries. And, and she even says, you're no different than a stormtrooper. I think she's the one who says that. And, then in uh, what's his name Callian I can't remember his name um, the uh, the Diego Luna character is about to assassinate somebody just because they told him that you have to assassinate this dude um, so what's the moral imperative here and I think that, that this movie is putting those things forward as far as war is concerned as far as politics are concerned it's dodging in the, the answers though so well here's here's Dingus where else have you seen that in Star Wars in, in the Star Wars movies what do you mean I guess I'm trying to lead you here, and what I'm saying is that uh, I definitely see what you're talking about as something that probably the filmmakers were thinking about, and I think it's another example of how 
they have they don't have the slightest idea what makes Star Wars great. Star Wars is a fantasy. It is not about oh, okay. the, the political gray area between an empire and a rebellion. Every nerd has sat around and, and had the conversation about, you know, the empire probably does great things. And you see, it's like the Roman Empire. You know, you talk about the Roman Empire as evil, but they actually civilized the world. And you can talk about the, the empire that way, but the movie doesn't think of it that way. The movie has good and evil. It has good guys and bad guys. Exactly. The movie is a fantasy world without moral ambiguity, right? And, and to use it as a platform to... to and, and I guess whether you think the message is clumsy or not, but as a platform for any kind of message about WMDs, about terrorism, about insurgency, about freedom and order, I think it's a, it's a betrayal of what makes Star Wars cool in that it's not about those things. Nobody in Star Wars has ever thought, you know what, maybe we can work with the Empire and make good things happen. And actually, this, this might be in the prequels. I don't know the prequels well enough to know whether or not this is true. But in the first three movies, in the original movies, it's all fantasy. You know, science fiction, there are many different kinds. Like Star Trek, for instance, is great at examining, like, ethical issues and political issues. And historically, it's been that. Star Wars is not that kind of science fiction. And I don't think Gareth Edwards or the, the doofuses who wrote this story and script know that. Uh, it just makes no sense to me. So even if you do like the message, I don't think it fits, and I see what you're talking about, Dingus, but I just feel like I don't – other than telling me that, yeah, resistances have to do terrible things. When Diego Luna right. gets up there and says, I've had to do terrible things. I've had to assassinate and sabotage and spy. You know, he, those, actually, he actually shoots one of his own guys at one point. Uh, during the Mujahideen attack? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But And those are things, by the way, that – yeah, the rebellion does that because compared to what the empire does, it's merited. Like the whole idea of a resistance is that the violence they do is for a greater good. You know, Diego Luna, what kind of rebellion has people wondering, well, maybe we shouldn't kill people. You know, maybe we shouldn't spy on people. Maybe we shouldn't blow up this, this, uh, this laboratory. Diego Luna's like 11th hour second guessing that maybe the rebels aren't great, so I'm going to go with you on this suicide mission. That just felt really clumsy to me. Uh, and it just felt like it came out of nowhere. Um, but people have... Go ahead. Go ahead, Kelly. Well, just if Kiernan's, if Kiernan's not rooting for the Rebels in a Star Wars movie, then it's a problem with the movie. You know what, Kelly? That, in so many words, Kelly, exactly. Like, a Star Wars movie is about rooting for the Rebels, booing the Empire. Booing the Empire. Uh, but yeah. why, why can't the movie... Why can't the movie stretch that? Because we've had... Even during the, I remember during the um, George W. Bush administration, there were there were things that were that that people made a link to uh, America as the empire uh, because of the way we were rolling over Iraq and Afghanistan and whatever, and the way we were treating the world. There there was this uh, there was this internet meme about uh, America being the evil empire. That we're sure. the ones. Sure. Um, and I'm not saying that I agree with that. I'm just saying that that was a thing. And wh- why why can't these filmmakers in this interstitial movie address that? Well, I mean, because it reminds what like they're doing. What's already come, like in what? Star Wars: A New Hope, which in Star Wars: A New Hope, which takes place right after this, there's none of that shading. Like it's Leah. We're, sp- we're booing Vader instantly. And if you watch these movies in sequential order, like if this is Episode Three and a Half. It's, it's, I think it's going to be jarring to like kids or any viewer if you're coming from oh it's like a terrorist uh, insurgency and then suddenly it's um, you know Alec Guinness going 
I mean, this, it, is, it's, this is what it was. It's fine to look at it from our youth as this was black and this was white, but why not? Why it's not be able to? Uh, why not be able to to do sort of a positive retconning? In my opinion, what are you getting out of it? The, the idea that there are shades of gray, that 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 there are differences of of of, of what's going on politically in our modern times, and how that might be able to influence or. Uh, just sort of, um, I don't know, uh, color in sort of the uh, the the various lines and the various shades and the various um, shadows and whatnot by looking at uh, what the politics might have been leading up to this because it is very much like mm-hmm. like Tom said it's it's just black and white uh, black hat white hat yeah but. Yeah. But there are other things within that, and and why not be able to fill that in? So here, here's what here's how I would express it to you, Dean. So I totally get what you're saying, uh, and I like this idea. You know, that's one of the things when you talk about these ideas that during the Bush administration, hey, America is the empire. Star Wars is a mythology, and it's a valuable way. To, mm-hmm. It can be a valuable way to look at the world and consider the world. And as a criticism of the Bush administration, America is the empire. Like I think that's a valid way to use mythology. What I would sort of, as a way to maybe help you understand how Kelly Wand and I sort of see this, do you remember when we saw Deadpool? And Kelly Wand and I were really on board with Deadpool, but you brought up this idea that an R-rated comic book, it feels out of sorts with the Marvel uh-huh. Universe, that, that adult perspective that Kelly Wand and I really enjoyed. You know, dick jokes and F-bombs and nudity and you know, pegging, which is which, something I learned from you. We got all of not I learned the word from you, <laughs> okay. the act I learned from, the, from Deadpool. Uh, but Deadpool, like... Kelly Wand and I really enjoyed opening the comic book universe to mm. that level, to that tone, and you kind of felt like it was out of sorts. Now, I would argue that the Marvel Universe comic books in general, that's super wide, and it allows for those different kinds of tones. I don't feel that the Star Wars mythology is that wide yet, that it's that ready for this kind of tone, mainly – not because I don't want it to do that, but mainly because I feel this was way too ham-handed. This didn't express what it was trying to do well enough, and that's just for me personally. Like Maybe I have different criteria for those messages, but I also kind of feel like it doesn't really fit. Like Star Wars doesn't need to do that in a similar way that you kind of felt like comic books don't need to do, appeal to adults and have all this R-rated stuff and violence in them. Uh, so I but, think maybe the same – go ahead, sorry. That's kind of a mischaracterization. I, mean, I don't okay. feel comic books shouldn't be able to do that, but the Marvel Universe. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. The Marvel Universe. And, and yeah, right, right. The, the, like the Marvel my Universe. Kid had, my kid had such a buy in to it and was so looking forward to it, and I couldn't take him to that movie. There's but no yeah, exactly. So, so comic books, right. We, we freely concede there are all kinds of weird comic books, but you're right. Like comic books that are being presented for mass consumption, for audiences, for children, you know. Children want to see a Marvel Universe uh, movie. Right, exactly. Right, right. And so I would say it's the same thing with, with Star Wars, uh, is that it feels out of tone the same way that you felt Deadpool was out of tone with the other Marvel Universe movies. It's like yeah, sending Charlie Brown and Linus to Vietnam, and it's like turns into... Deep. See, now that sounds cool, Kelly Wand. I would love something yeah, immersive yeah. like that, but it would have to be well done. Uh, and I just, I had an issue with, I, I didn't... Oh. Yeah, because I, I get like I, I was watching that scene on Jeddah and thinking, oh, these are the you know they're they're dressing up the rebels as the Mujahideen. They didn't even bother to make the imperial vehicle look like anything other than a tank. I mean, it looked like a tank. Right. And we have a we have uh, insurgents attacking a tank here. Uh, okay, and lots of dead stormtrooper bodies. And, 
and I think you're you're right about that. I mean, and the dead stormtrooper bodies. I mean, those are dudes in there. Those aren't robots. So right. whenever whenever anyone gets uh, blown up, that's a person getting blown up. But you know, and don't so know. so during that, I I felt weird about having my kid there. I mean, you think- it felt weird. But Dingus, doesn't this now, when you watch all the stormtroopers dying in uh, in Star Wars, you know, when you see mm-hmm. Han Solo and Chewbacca mowing down stormtroopers and running around the Death Star, I never felt bad for them. That's the thing is, no. now it seems like, like should you carry that into those scenes? Don't don't you feel like it feels a little like that's an odd thing to be thinking about when you're watching the useless. I gotta yeah. be honest with you. I always felt that. I felt weird okay. about that every time. Even though I love those movies, once Luke gets into one of the suits and Han gets into the suit, I realized, wait, there were people in those suits. I mean, They're I realized that ship, from though. the beginning, and yeah. I just sort of like pushed it to the side. But I don't think the movie wants you to fuss with that. Like when, when no, Luke, it doesn't. When this young fella got came out of uh, University of Southern California Film School, and he got together the budget to do this wacky adventure science fiction film in Tunisia. I don't think that's what he had in mind. He wanted these stormtroopers to be disposable. He wanted the audience to be thrilled at them being mowed down because the good guys were prevailing. He didn't want us, and granted, it was from a very different time, of course. He didn't want us to think, oh, my gosh, there's people in there. Gareth Edwards and Tony Gilroy and uh, the other people who wrote this thing, they now are introducing this idea that I don't think belongs. And that, that Kelly wants well, no. the word undermine, and I agree with that. I think that what if this movie had worked, I think it would undermine the, the other Star Wars movies. I, I totally disagree with that because of where the, where the series is going, where, where we're going right now as far as the story is concerned. Because uh, I mean, we just look at Force Awakens and uh-huh. the, the blood on Finn's uh, – the blood marks yep. on Finn's – on Pfizer and and how we understand what Finn is. I mean, we are we are shifting the way we understand that these guys are not robots and that that soldiers are not robots. Soldiers are not expendable. I mean, they are expendable. We we consider them expendable. Maybe maybe they shouldn't be. And Force Awakens set the table for what's going on in this movie. I mean, look See, at the look at the blood marks on his. Yeah, face. absolutely, and I think that's one of the issues with that movie is that then Finn merrily goes along and he blows up a bunch of other stormtroopers and and people right. of the Empire. That was a convenient moment to explain to us, and we don't know all of the story, by the way. There's still some mystery that to explain to us why does this one stormtrooper break ranks and go over to the other side, and these other ones didn't. And that blood was a super tasteful, restrained moment. Like it was, it was weird and out of character, and. It, for whatever reason, it knocked one out of thousands and thousands of stormtroopers loose. And, you know, I don't think it was to make – I don't think throughout the rest of Force Awakens we were then supposed to feel bad for other stormtroopers that got killed. Uh, I think it's just supposed to tell us, hey, Finn is somehow special and different. Um, and I, I would also – I would also point out, like, J.J. Abrams, one of the reasons that I loved Force Awakens is he understood what made Star Wars good. And there was none of, like, maybe that one bit with Finn, sure, you could argue, yeah, it's looking at stormtroopers as humans, but there's no political stuff in Force Awakens. Force Awakens, J.J. Abrams, and this is to his credit and his immense credit, and it's why I loved Force Awakens, he knows what made Star Wars good, and he just mm-hmm. gave it more of us. You know, secret plans, uh, a feisty rogue hero, these little plucky droids, uh, a, a Death Star, uh, a duel between heroes with, with swords, 
you know, cool ships, the Millennium Falcon. Like, J.J. Abrams just gave us comfort food, and it was delicious because it understood why Star Wars tastes so good. And I don't, I don't think uh, it's just comfort food. I think it's I I'm think not it's saying that talking... to be dismissive, by the way. I'm not, I, I love the comfort oh, okay, I don't right. be dismissive. Um, sorry, I did cut you off, but I just want to, you know, I don't feel that this movie understood those things that J.J. Abrams understood. There's no comfort. <laughs> well, here's the thing. One of the things I loved about Force Awakens was the way BB-8 was handled as a, and I said this early on, as a being, as 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 a life form. There's there's something that she says early on about he, you know, he doesn't respect life. I, I can't remember the exact line. And and Josh Lubliner, Lubliner another of our um, Josh L, another of our, uh, our listeners who's who's writing in uh, said that about the um, the droid, the main droid in this movie uh, Z 2SO. I can't I can't, rem- I can't say his name. Hey. It doesn't roll off the tongue. We'll just call him um, Alan Tudyk. <laughs> but it, but yeah. it, it's the Alan Tudyk, uh, the droid character, and, and and him saying that uh, he that uh, Josh says he was genuinely bummed when he died, um, because th- there is I think a shift to a shift from uh, stormtroopers or droids or just things that we can just feed that are just disposable, or they're characters that we actually care about and what does that mean as far as what life is and what does that mean as far as you know there's there's this, even what gender is i mean there's this thing early in the movie where ben Mendelssohn's character says uh he's got a child go find it uh, he doesn't say go find her or go find him go find it um there's this idea of what life is or what um what uh, presence is or what being is and even in those stormtrooper things i i mean i i kind of like the way that the the series is shifting a little bit this way and and i think that doing it in this sort of interstitial movie in a political way uh in my opinion and you know making sort of a political war movie in this like like, this is kind of a a movie that we're going to just kind of wedge in here and we're going to do these things with this movie that we couldn't do with the other movies i think is is actually pretty is pretty smart and i I disagree with you guys that that it's so poorly written and that that this is not an understanding of the star wars universe i think it's more of a, a way of of moving where we are as where we are now as opposed to where we are in, 19, in 1977 uh, about an understanding of where we are politically in, in a different way. Let, let me w- – one area where I definitely agree with you, Dingus, and where I really admired this movie. As I was watching this movie, and I loved this, I loved how few white characters there were. I yeah. really, really liked – just going scenes and scenes and scenes without a regular old white dude. And it's so different from 1977, isn't it? Uh, and even though at one point I was like, oh, right, two Chinese characters. Of course, that's for the Chinese audience. You know, Donnie Yen, I don't like that guy, but whatever. Those two characters basically were big neon signs saying, hey, China, like us. But for the most part, I just loved how, you know, uh, uh, all just this, this multicultural and that, that so often sounds like a weird, dirty, politically loaded word, and it shouldn't because a galaxy is multicultural. A planet is multicultural. You know, a nation should be multicultural. Just this idea that there were so many different shades of people. It was beautiful. Uh, and, you know, this is one thing that, that Star Trek was doing long before other 
popular entertainment, and it's so nice to see Star Wars doing that. So mm-hmm. in that sense, Dingus, I do love very deeply how this reflects a changing world in a way that the original Star Wars series didn't. So I will definitely give them props there. Um, but then let's talk about things. let's let's talk about some of the specific characters. Um, right, cool. So uh, Kelly, who did and didn't work for you? Did any of the characters work better or worse than other characters? Who was a standout for you, one way or the other? I did like the blind guy, mm-hmm. um, kind of, but I don't know if because his whole force thing was about kyber crystals, and that's something that I wasn't sure I didn't realize was still canon in the movies. It I felt very midichlorian, I thought. It yeah. did feel that way, but it, it also felt like uh, it was a, a, a an energy source that was. It was the first time I felt like in a Star Wars movie, there's an energy source that we have to respect you know we we have to be careful about how we use the death star but it's never brought up again in the in subsequent movies and then, well it, it's kind of preparing you for that because this is why we haven't destroyed a planet yet just, just do a city we don't we we need to make a statement not a um oh god what's the line but they, they, then you know, a few short moments later, they're going to blow up Dantooine, though. Like or Alderaan, sorry. Uh, like I, that's another thing. I was like, oh, well, wait I a minute. See. You guys are already the, the movie has already made the point that this is just something that they're having to like steal from the later movie. Because, like that made no sense to me. Like no. you guys are about to blow up Alderaan in a little bit, and, and anybody looking at that horrible Peter Cushing, by the way, thinks of that. Like this is the guy. That's that's about one of his defining him. characters. He's about to destroy a world. So they're just going to blow up a city and then they're going to hide it because then – I don't know if they said that yeah. so that then Alderaan wouldn't seem weird because we have to know why people are surprised that Alderaan got destroyed or mm. – and are there, no, are there no nukes in the Star Wars universe? I get there aren't. Like is that the idea that people aren't used to whole cities being able to be destroyed? No, no. They don't have that technology. I mean, this is, and I mean, that's kind of what I. I, I mean, like you you are right. This is a world where if if there had been nukes, we would know. And so you are right. If there were planet destroyers, they would go, oh, a Death Star. It's just like right. other things. Right. But I, but I do like the energy resource thing because once we get to Force Awakens, it's like we need to drain a sun to be able to do this. Uh, there is like expendable energy going on. When I when we first saw Star Wars, I didn't even think about that. But we're in a world now where we have to worry about that. And so this kyber crystal thing, they, apparently kyber crystals are what make lightsabers and also are able to power the Death Star. Well, they have to be careful about how they use that because it's a, it's, it's a resource that can be expended and you can't get it back. You know. So I like that idea that, that he's, uh, he said, you know, we, you know, we need to make a statement on a manifesto, I think is the actual line. Um, yeah. And so they're just, they're just blowing up a city. And, and, you know, when Ben Mendelsohn's character says, oh, my God, it's beautiful. Um, there's sort of a strange beauty to that, even that line. And also the fact that we're watching it happen and we're watching the spectacle and we're expected to say, oh, my God, that's beautiful from sitting in our seats in the audience. But is it a little weird that there's an Asian dude who's not a Jedi but has force powers, and then you watch Episode Four right after that, and Obi Wan Kenobi's like, "Yeah, the Jedi are gone." Like, some people don't even believe in him. Well, he doesn't have force powers. He's 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 adherent to the religion. 
He's he's just a he's part of the religion. He's not Jedi. Yeah, he's I mean, not I using the force. The, like whole, the whole time I was looking at him, I couldn't help but think, oh, right, the guy who wrote Book of Eli. Yeah, you're right, Tom. I I, and I totally said that to my kid too. And he says he's a Zadoichi. Like it's a like it's clearly again, and I think this is maybe something for the the Asian markets, but. You know, this is this is a guy almost directly lifted from uh, from action movies. You know, Zadoichi, the blind samurai, I think. Uh, so that guy, I kind of, you know, I did like for the first time. Isn't Donnie Yen the one who Michelle Yeoh has the romance with in the Crouching Tiger sequel? Yes, you're absolutely uh, right. It drove me crazy in that, but I liked. I kind of like this actor. Okay, so I liked him. Um, I like. I really like him. But yeah, you're right. So uh, who stood out, stood out for you, Dingus, for better or worse? No, so, well, for better. Who, who was someone who you really liked in this? Um, I, I kind of I liked all the actors in it. Okay. But, but my, my defense would be that, you know, you know you're, you're, going to have to, you're going to have to hire actors who are willing to be in a movie where they know they're just going to be de- dead. <laughs> they're not going to be in a franchise. They're not signing up for a franchise. Um, you say that, Dingus, but man, if you're going to be mining movies for prequels, you know we could see we could see movies about Diego Luna's early career. You know we're yeah, getting we're getting Han Solo died. Well, probably not because I don't think this movie will be as well remembered. But we're getting a Han Solo. Han Solo's dead. We're still getting Han Solo movies. Yeah. <laughs> I get what you're saying, that, Dingus. I do get what you're saying. This is very I mean, much a one-off. They're not going to get. I mean, you can look at any of these char- these actors in in any of these roles and think, oh, well, this is who you should have put in. This is who you should have put in. But she's n- she's never going to do that role because she's going to be killed at the end. You know, I mean, there's there's Liam a ton Neeson of that. But, but I, I mean, I love Alec Guinness did Star Wars. Liam Neeson did Phantom Menace. I mean, I don't think I, I do get what well, you're saying. These are definitely did Star Wars at a different part in his career. I mean, but you're I mean, saying. These are one-off characters, so you, you sort of feel that – are you saying that that sort of means that you expect less from the actors or that you – No, start- it's, it's that I expect less from the casting. It's, it's, it's that, that this feeling – I don't know. I, I'm looking at each one of them and thinking this person reminds me of somebody else. Uh-huh. Um, and even if it's an older actor, like Diego Luna's character was constantly reminding me of Chucky Carrio for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I could like that. I like what you're thinking there. Um, but I, I like Jing Wen, the guy who was the, who was the guy who looks like a, a Maori, like uh, New Zealand uh, warrior guy. I liked him very much. I think the guy with the, big old, with the big old shotgun. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I liked him a lot. Um, I liked Riz Ahmad. I think he was great in doing what he had to do as this pilot who was uh, taken over by the weird um, uh, mind octopus. What was that? Mind octopus thing. I didn't know. I, mm. I did not like Forrest Whitaker at all. He, no, yeah. terrible. He drove me up the freaking wall. And uh, um, I don't even understand that casting at all. I don't get it. Um, Felicity Felicity? Jones was fine, but she just seemed like the poor man's. uh, What's her name? Daisy Daisy Ridley. Ridley. So I think Daisy Daisy Ridley. Ridley, Sorry. I did like Donnie Yen, even though the character is. uh, I mean, I have to admit, kind of what you guys are talking about, but I think he's he's 
he's not a Jedi. He's just this uh, adherent to the religion. He's well, I will say he was the nice. one actor who I thought looked like he was having fun. Who who kind of seemed in my book, and this is someone who I you know I was just drumming my fingers ready for this thing to be over pretty quickly. He was one actor who was like, okay, well, he's being at least energetic, so I will give him that. I did. He stood out for me more than a lot of the other actors just for his energy. I think he feels distinctive. Uh, so let, let's then talk about. Uh, so regardless of, of what we think of Felicity Jones, I think we all like her. She's very appealing, and she's got this great look to her. What, uh, what else have we seen her in? I, 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 so she I was, was Jonah Hill's wife in True Story. She was the love interest in Theory of Everything, which I haven't seen. Um, mm. And I think British TV, maybe she's a Brit. Uh, but what did we think of her character? <laughs> because here, so here's why I want to ask. And I don't think that she ever did anything except stick a doodad in a slot and then pull a lever. Like, she didn't even get to shoot She gave a speech. She, she gave a speech, which I thought was really underwhelming, and it yes. just, I was kind of embarrassed that, at that. Uh, I just felt like, as a hero, it, she just felt like obligatory. Like, she didn't need to be there. And they needed to have, okay, we're going to need to have a female hero. Let's make her the daughter. Like, everything would have happened even if she wasn't there. It, it was even, like, worse than Indiana Jones. We talk about Indiana Jones. Oh done, And that's funny. That's hilarious. But, you know, we're rooting for him. This kind of – like, she didn't accomplish anything. She felt optional and just, like, something that was plugged in so they could have a, a chick hero. Uh, and it just felt a little uh, – Like, I don't even know her – like, at least – like, with Uma Thurman, we know what her skill set is, like, at fighting. And mm-hmm. this is, like, a war movie, like – is she even, like, a good shot? Felicity? At one point, like, during that Mujahideen attack, she's, like, punching star- stormtroopers and right. And I'm like, oh, wait, she's really good at combat. And then nothing. Later on, when yeah, she puts on that time. black outfit, I was like, oh, are those katanas on her back? Is she ever going to draw those? And nope, she doesn't get to fight with whatever yeah. katanas are sticking out prominently behind her head. And who trained her? Oh, those katanas were awesome. I was totally hoping those would come out. But that was, yeah, it was like a Chekhov's katana. Like, if you're going to put a katana on your lead actress's back in the third act, she had better slice someone's head off with it by the end of the final act. She doesn't kill anyone, and her her one uh, vendetta against Ben Mendelsohn goes on, like, just winds up, like, they just both wind up dying from the same thing anyway. Well, no, the the, the dude saves her. Yeah, and she is able to to flip up through that weird, like, uh, what is that thing that closes and opens and closes. Oh, the sphincter thing. It's a sphincter. The sphincter. She's able to flip up through a sphincter. I mean, she's well, able like to now and then, Yeah, they give her, it's like, okay, well, she's got to punch stormtroopers. She's got to get up through this perilous moment. She's got to climb. Not uh, exciting. Not exciting. I, I just felt that after Daisy Ridley, we deserved better. Uh, and I, uh, again, In fact, just, if she's not, here's the thing. It was potentially interesting that she wasn't like Daisy Ridley and she wasn't force sensitive. So you have to use her wits or something or yeah. like she can't fight. She's like she has to like make up for like Han Solo didn't believe in the force either. Mm-hmm. But he can still like be awesome in asteroid fields. Cause yeah, he uh, Chris, Chris Markinson says he liked Felicity Jones, but she seemed like a lead character who should have had more to do more often to me. I think maybe she was a little underutilized. I don't know her characteristics. Psychologically, or um, what you call well, it, martially. Her characteristics are being an abandoned child. I think <sighs> boring. Done that. It's even in Star Wars. <laughs> and, then, done. and then recognizing a hologram, and then running around and telling everybody that yeah, she recognizes the hologram. And then they're all, "Oh, great! What is it?" And then she's all, "Well, I don't have it." And then it's like, because she can't <laughs> remember what he said, they have to go steal the plans. <laughs> 
What, what's She's upsetting? Like, well, it's on this side. What's upsetting <laughs> to me is that she looks a little too much like Daisy Ridley. Another yeah. brunette. She looks a little too much like that. I wish mm. they would have chosen somebody else. I mean, she. I mean, uh, it just looks a little too much like Daisy Ridley. Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, just like cute leading actress. Uh, but but I just thought she had none of Daisy Ridley's spark. And Daisy Ridley of, yeah. acted like it was all really happening. Like she was so committed in that role. Like she, I don't know. She seemed ready. Uh, what do you guys think of? Uh, okay, this might sound weird. Let me just lay this out and. Uh, so there, there's a there's a series of, of fantasy stories from Poland called The Witcher, and there are these Witcher video games. <laughs> Kelly Wan, quit giggling. And there are All these right. Witcher video games, and at one point in one of the Witcher games, uh, the characters are talking about uh, uh, cholera and, and uh, people curing, you know, cholera epidemics ravaging populations. And, you know, Witcher has, like, dragons and spells and elves and stuff. Uh, at one point, Diego Luga, Luna... Uh, <laughs> Shut up, Dingus. That was an error you made earlier, and you incepted me with it. Yep. Diego Luna okay. accuses Felicity Jones of being in shock. Now, shock is a is a medical. It's like a, a description of a medical thing that happens to yeah. something. Yeah. So, does that mean are there like like polio and cancer? Do, do those do these hmm. medical maladies exist in Star Wars? Like only Lou Gehrig's disease. Well, I'm wondering, like, is the fact that someone refers to shock, like, it's the same thing, I, you know, I mentioned in a Star Wars game, uh, someone refers to the a- ATSTs as chicken walkers. There's no chickens in Star Wars. They don't no. exist. Does shock exist in Star Wars? And is that weird that when he said that, I was like, wait a minute. I don't think, I don't think that's any more weird than saying uh, he went back home. I mean, home is a... Is a concept that we understand. I think well, no, no, shock, shock is something they, they can understand as well. No, no, but shock is a 20th century medical term. Like it, it would be like talking about not the same, but it, you know, it's it, there are different kinds of shock, and it has to do with your sh- circulatory system messing up. But it's a, it's a medical term related to 20th century medicine. Um, would it help if I got out and pushed? Well, <laughs> it might. Like for instance, what if someone said IV? For instance, like we're going to give you an IV drug, or I. I mean, the thing is that just. It's, and maybe it's just me being super sensitive to the fact that I felt that they didn't understand the fantasy universe of Star Wars. Huh. You know, this is a world where a, a Bacta tank just heals you. You know, you get in a Bacta tank, you're fine. Uh, and the Diego Luna rolls out this accusation of shock, which, you know, I think a better script would have said you're just stunned. You don't know. Like the fact that they used this medical term for the 20th century just felt weird to me, and that might be nitpicking. Her pupils are dilated. I mean, well, Kind of, sure, yeah, that kind of thing. The midichlorian count's super low. Now, that, it wasn't that bad, to be fair. Yeah, they didn't do a midichlorian thing. Although, all right, so in the if somebody is about to kill someone else, the force around them looks different, really? Because that's what what the Zadoichi guy says. He's like, oh, his force looked different around him because he's off to kill someone. What? I don't remember that line. No, he's talking about, does, does he look like a killer? That whole, like, assassin thing. I'm right. pretty sure that when Diego Luna goes off with his sniper rifle and they say, like the eye. he had this gun in snipe configuration, whatever that means, yeah. did that, that uh, Zadoichi said the force acts differently around someone who's, who has an intent to kill. And I could oh, be misremembering it, okay. but I think he, uh, 
and again, that you know, I just felt it just felt the weirdly was a different way. Kelly Wandy didn't say that. What? I love that. <laughs> How do you feel about this? And this is something that both uh, I thought of and that uh, Chris Markinson said. Uh, how do you feel about the fact that Vader was living in Mordor? <laughs> I oh, the lava it. thing. Yeah, right, right. Uh, it made me yeah. laugh. By that time, it was the whole movie was like... Eh, what, was this just me, or did Vader look a little chintzy? Like, and I don't know if he was a CG <laughs> he did. Vader. He looked uh, like you're, you're absolutely right, Tom. He looked chintzy, and I think that the Star Destroyers looked like models. Oh, there was one point thing is though when you first see a star destroyer coming out of this the shadow I think of the Death Star and it looks like a plastic model and I was like whoa yeah. that's kind of cool that they're going for that effect practical effects and then later they didn't really do that but it, when it looked like plastic dingus I I almost stood up and went nice oh, yeah. why would you think that because to me it just looked like a kid's model and it was so they weird. Were, they were going to use that as like a as like a visual choice. I would because because if you look at John Dykstra's early special effects work, which Star Wars is, they're models. They look like models. It's awesome. Like that taps into the twelve year old me seeing a science fiction. Uh, right. But I think it was just some weird thing, like Vader looking chintzy. Like the visual effects in this were just so erratic, and specifically. Like, come on. I mean, Dingus, you said it almost ruined the scenes for you, but how – who thought that that Tarkin was a good idea? Like, what – seriously, recast the role. We're okay with that. It's been oh, – Yeah, thank you. Kids, yeah. kids who go to see this movie have no idea who Peter Cushing is. And people who – so it doesn't matter. They're going to wonder, why is, why is there a Gollum here? Like, you know, why does Gollum show up to talk to Ben Mendelsohn? Who's it's that Rand- weird alien talking to Yeah, exactly. To and and then the, and to end with that weird shot of, of 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 the anime Princess Leia, oh my God, that was just weird. And they uh, did a ton of work to make that work, by the way. To I make don't, that whole thing work. I mean, they did a ton. Uh, ILM did a ton of work to to make that Peter Cushing thing wow. happen. Because it looked to me, Dingus, like they shot it with the assurance that someone that it was going to be CG and it was going to look good. And for whatever reason, they didn't have time to do reshoots, and they didn't have time to do better special effects, so it had to be rushed with this in place. And, like, I, I don't see how anyone thought this looked good. Uh, yeah. And, I, and there's it, supposed to be applause moments, like, oh, it's that guy. Oh, it's Princess Leia. Because here, I thought briefly, when you see his reflection in the window, I was like, oh, they're just going to let the reflection show, and that's all we're going to see of him. And, and then he turns around and we have a full conversation. But again, recast it or just show us the reflection. Uh, that was just so uncomfortable for me. It was just weird and out of sorts. Um, and, and that's exactly what our listeners were were saying as well. And Chris Markins said, you know, just let the dead people stay dead. Because uh, from my perspective, watching that from it was it was just like watching a cutscene from a video game. Yeah, exactly. It, it, just, yeah. it just felt really weird, and that's that uncanny valley. It was like, I don't know. You guys, we're just not here yet. We're not yeah. there yet. We don't have the technology yet. I'm sorry. We don't have it yet. And they put a ton of work in it. They got an actor to play the part. They got an actor to voice oh. the part. Even the voice um, they didn't like. Like, that wasn't... I, none of it worked. Yeah, yeah. It's, and they it weren't good takes lines. you out of the movie. It, ta- it, it removes you from the movie. Yeah. Um, and and why not? You know, from my perspective, just have Ben Mendelsohn play that part. I mean, he could play he could play Grand Morph Darkett. Why right, not? Right. Just yeah. just have him do have him do it. Don't create another character that runs around doing whatever. 
that I know is going to die because he's not in any of the later movies. So I know he's going to die at some point. Or better uh, yet, just have him play Tarkin and have Tarkin be the one who engineers this. Yeah, right. And that's, that's, what what that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I think yeah. that Ben Mendelsohn just should have been the Tarkin part. And as soon as I saw Ben Mendelsohn, when he walked on, I was like, oh, I know who that is. And then he walks up behind this guy, and I'm like, oh, fuck. It's not uh, him. All right, so even uh, this surely, Dingus, must have driven you insane. Like, was it not absurd? Like, Vader doing a pun <sighs> about Chogun. Yeah. Wasn't that horrible? I mean, that right there, the people writing this movie don't understand Star Wars. Vader has no humor. He doesn't make a pun. Wasn't that terrible? Especially if it's something he does all the time. Like, he force jokes people every day. He would no, go one day. Or that's his signature thing. Like, that's how he learned to do it. Like, oh, wait. He thought so, of the line first. You know, I've seen this in a couple of places, and, uh, and Josh, Josh L. also talked about this as well. Um, the, the line is, don't choke on your... What? Be careful not to choke on your aspirations. It's as if oh, thank you. the screenwriters looked up the word aspiration and thought, oh, it's related to the root for breathing. Right. Huh. Okay, great. Because I've seen a couple of people say, and, and Josh L., uh, sorry to call you out on this, but it's like he, pe- people think it's don't choke on your ambitions, but aspirations is what really clinches it as a terrible line. It's, it's terrible writing, and don't choke on your aspirations – it made me want to punch the screen. It was. It, was, it made me so angry no, because that's not what that's not what Vader does. Vader doesn't do that. He either chokes you or doesn't. He doesn't say something cute. So, Dingus, now you know how I felt for two hours. All right, <laughs> or ninety Fair minutes enough. or whatever. But Asper- in Empire, though, he says apology accepted. Like he says funny things sometimes. Well, that's good. fine, but aspirations. You know, good point. I mean. You know they're funny. Just that's a good point, though. I mean, he he he's definitely like, uh, like like he they're, they're appropriately villainous things. That uh, he's but, droll. I mean, yeah, he's droll. Between being droll and being sarcastic, making a dumb pun. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, bad. Bad Vader writing. <laughs> uh, all right. So how about um that Michael Giacchino soundtrack, Dingus? Were you okay with that? Nope. Yep. Not really. Do you I, remember I the part where Forrest Whitaker like reaches for his oxygen mask and the music's all dun dun? <laughs> I'm so happy that you brought up Blue Velvet because every time he did that, I was like, "What's up with the Dennis Hopper Blue Velvet thing? What's going on here? I don't and understand that a, what that is." Was, was that a drug or did he have a hard time breathing? I didn't know what it was. It was like either. Pain. I didn't get the character with with or without it, so it was just a yeah, mistake. it was a terrible character. And I really, really like this movie, but that character and that oxygen—I didn't know what he was doing. What's he doing? Yeah, but so you know, all three of our listeners who wrote in really liked the ending. How do you feel about the ending about everybody dying? Yeah, I've already seen Deep Impact. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, fair enough. No, as far as everybody dying, like the deep end. I, I I agree with you, Tom. But as far as everybody dying, I'm fine with that. But I just, I, I mean, it I didn't care. Like it fits. I, yeah, I didn't care about who died, and I didn't feel like this interpretation of the Star Wars universe fit. It just felt really out of sorts with me. So a lot of them died 
sort of pointlessly, I thought, too. Like, they Forrest didn't all Whitaker, like, not getting on the ship is ridiculous. Yeah. Why doesn't he just go with them and get on the ship? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I can He's understand. And, and also, just the contrivance of uh, the data file is too big, so we have to carry it out there. And uh, someone, you know, when, when Riz Ahmed is saddled with delivering the exposition about a master switch... My eyes could not have been rolling more. I was like, oh, my God, seriously? Somebody has to run somewhere and press a button, and we've got, he's got to pull a cord and plug it in, and, and it's all because a data file is too big. And, oh, exciting. Lord. Does that make you think about video games? I mean, I, you they're, they're very have, have, Not in a good way. No, no, not in a good way, but it makes me think about, like, all the little things. Okay, you have to go over here and do this thing, and then you have to do that thing. I don't, I don't think it surprised anyone to hear that uh, one of the screenwriters of this was an editor for a magazine called PC Gamer for many years. Right. Uh, yeah, it's very video gamey. Like, okay, here's your mini quest. You must do this task. And video games are all about, oh, you got to go over here and press a button. You got to press a lever. I mean, uh, uh, Riza Med needs a button pressed. Uh, Daisy, or, good lord, Daisy. Really, no, uh, Felicity Jones has to run up there and like press a button. She's got to go out on a scaffold. To, like, throw a lever. Like, this is not the stuff of drama. This is not what makes Star Wars good. You know, uh, uh, Ben Kenobi pulling the lever on the, the tractor beam, that was just, like, it wasn't about, like, he had to go in there and he had to trick his way through stormtroopers. Like, it was about his character using the force to mystically sneak past people. It wasn't an action sequence about a lever. Um, yeah, I just, just all of the motivations in this were, were silly. Like, why did all these, even, here's a silly thing. When Ben Mendelsohn is looking out that window at the explosions, how did a group of, you know, they're dressed like rebel soldiers, how did they make their way around that many different locations when they're supposedly like stormtroopers on patrol? That's a lot of, uh, that is a lot of uh, space. Yeah, I was like, what, and, and what that was is just someone... You know, there's the script on one hand, and someone was told on another hand, hey, give us a special effects sequence of this base with explosions. And nobody narratively thought, well, you've got a couple of guys planting charges versus, hey, how cool would it look if there's an explosion here and then way over there and then way down here in the lower right and way up there in the upper left. Uh, it just And then she's miles away from it right after that. Like it's a mushroom cloud on the horizon. Oh, it kind of was like it missed, wasn't it? Like yeah. the meant to shoot right at the base, and whoops, they missed a little bit, which is long enough to give us that mushroom no, they, cloud. No, they took out the they took out the um, the satellite dish. Yeah. Oh, they were just trying to graze that. Well, it would take it out if they hit the base of it. I'm pretty sure if that explosion had hit the base, it would like like when you aim at a raised surface, you can just blow up the bottom of it and you will destroy it. You don't have to shear it off of the top. Uh, but yeah, that does make sense, Dingus. I guess visually that was a cooler gimmick, is the laser slicing through the dish. Yeah, It's uh, a super laser. Boy, I'll say. Yeah, but it's powered by kyber crystals, so... I don't remember that in the in New Hope, the stormtroopers in the super laser t- uh, channel, like, ducking from it. Like, oh, alright, don't look at it. Unless you use cardboard. I thought they didn't. Oh. Do they? I thought they just watched it and warmed their hands. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees when I'm caught in between counting. One, two, three, feet apart, not free, getting down with three feet, everybody loves all Well, my worst 
fears were realized. The thing is, you did like this. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot, I. A lot. We'll find out how high it is on your top 10 list later on in about a month. Uh, 84%. Yeah, ding, you know, ding, yeah, Dingus is with the critical He's consensus. In good company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and also, what was the idiot uh, score? Oh, and Cinema, well, Cinema score got an A, and everything gets an A pretty much. Uh, it is telling, like, I'll bet you, and I wouldn't look, I'll bet you Dollars to Donuts Force Awakens got an A+. Plus. A long time ago in A Galaxy. At least we didn't have a crawl, I'll say. Uh, let me we had a sand crawl. No, Force Awakens oh, also wow. got an A as well. That's really sad. All right, so according to CinemaScore, this movie is as good as Force Awakens. So there you, you go. A streaks. Now, thing is, you will continue. That, like, are you with me and Kelly Wan that Force Awakens is better than Rogue One? Oh, scads, yeah. Okay, okay. It's much, much better. I mean, I loved Force Awakens. It was my number two movie of that year. But our uh, three, I'm back. Our three uh, <laughs> viewers who wrote in, uh, TJ, Chris Markinson, Josh Lovener, uh, Josh L, all loved it too. I mean, they, I they really liked it. And there's, uh, our listeners really liked this movie. Well, me and Kelly Wan are the two cool for school kids who didn't like it. So there. Tom's a Star Wars hater, and I'm a Star Wars fan. Like I'm not a, you can't say I'm a Star Wars hater when I'm such a sucker for Force Awakens and the, the I, I love Star Wars. You know that. I just said Force. Yeah, but you said Force Awakens was the best one of all seven, which to me implies you're a Star Wars hater. Oh, you know what? It, I think I like it. Uh, I don't know. The, I said it was the best one. If you think, if you think, yeah. Well, I really do think, and I, I, I don't think I said it was better than Empire Strikes Back. Like Empire Strikes Back is brilliant. It's the best. That's that's what puzzle. I'm all, okay. If he thinks it's better than that, then he really hates the. I really puzzle. said it was better. Well, I'm going to take that back then. I would like to retract that statement. I would say it's better than Star Wars. Not as good as. Uh, but you know what? We'll check my over under. Ah, uh-huh, you Just like Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, speaking of Harrison Ford and yeah. and Chewbacca, uh-huh. Excellent. let's talk about our favorite trios in Ugh. movies. Why are you going? Ugh. I was just picturing those three. Oh, <laughs> uh, I guess. I guess no. Where do you put Luke? And then what happens to Alec Guinness? What about the droids? Yeah, it doesn't quite work for Star Wars. In the Hanway. So these are just trios. It's threes in movies. Probably. Kelly. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wan, you're introducing next week's three by three, so why don't you start us off? If you clone Felicity Jones's character, you'd have a threesome. You could have a threesome with her. Wait. Well, oh, oh, right. Uh, Kelly Wan is dirty. I'm, I'm Star very Wars humor. <laughs> My number three trio in motion picture history is uh, The Witches in Clash of the Titans, the 1980s one. Because um, the thing I like about them is they have one eye between them, among them, but uh, they're super lusty. Like, and I think, like, when they're, like, fighting over the eye, because it's Harry Hamlin and, like, a loincloth, and they're like, oh, he's well made, give me the eye. And they're, like, (laughs) fighting over it so they can, like, drool over Harry Hamlin's knobs. This is making me want to see that movie. All I remember from that movie is an owl named Bubo. The horny witches. Yeah, and then Bubo takes the eye from their hands. They is that no true? One. Yeah. It's really good, because they're watching They All Come, and he's a, he's like a stupid robot, and they still can't... He like just grabs the eye and like drops it in him once. Kelly Wand, why was this not on the 3x3 three three of eyeballs? Oh, well, it's not an eye. 
Well, yeah. I mean, it's I didn't. I, it's more like a crystal ball. Did anyone high. famous play any of the witches? It blink. Um, Barbara Mandrell and the Mandrells actually were in. They were uh, wearing wigs. It's a little known fact. I don't think I believe you, and also I'm not sure who Barbara Mandrell is. So, Greg Evigan was the art director. I don't know who that is either. That's my number three, which is in Clash of the Titans. Uh, Biggest, really. What is your third favorite trio? Witches in Clash of the Titans. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a great pick. Three witches. How many witches were there that Gerard Butler goes to see in 300, the Oracle? Like, were those witches? Those are like witches, right? They were lusty, what? too. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Whoa, whoa, what? No, no. What are you talking about? They're not witches. The Oracle They're... was a girl. They were oh, yes. you're right. You're right. The Oracle was the hot chick. I couldn't see past the hot chick. That's right. They were weird old men. I forgot about that. Ew, that's gross yeah. now that I'm thinking of that. Yeah, and they're all the... crusty and herpied. Gross. Uh, Ew. I know which character I am. Let's go back and talk about Lena <laughs> Headey in that movie. <laughs> Dingus, what, yeah. what's your third favorite trio in a movie? And just, just so you know, Dingus, uh, Yafet Kato cannot be part of a trio with Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin in Midnight Run. All right, well, hold on. I have to cross that off the list there. Down. Uh, do you have any thoughts about Rushmore? I'm trying to think, what would the trio be there? It would be Margaret Yang, Jason Schwartzman, and, and the little worry. kid, the little kid who played Brain in Brick, right? Is there Connery, Alec Baldwin, and uh, Scott Glenn in Hunt for October? Oh, Jonesy, yeah, or Jonesy and Scott Glenn, yeah. and yeah, I don't know, Dingus. We, we're guessing, but what do you got for us? I just loved it when Kelly said, Alec Baldwin, he just sounds like Ben Foster all the time. I am Ben Foster all the time. It's hard to unhear. Yeah. All right, so, uh, no, my uh, third favorite trio in a movie. My trios are kind of, um, they're kind of ineffectual trios in ways. Uh, They don't really succeed. They might eventually succeed, but they have trouble getting there. Uh, so my third favorite trio in a movie is from uh, a movie called The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Jesus and Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that is a trilogy. It's true of books. I almost, I almost did that, actually. Uh, I almost, you know, because Tom didn't say it had to be characters. That's true. I, I almost, you like... You could have done Matrix. Like, I, I almost went with... <laughs> I almost went with trilogies. I almost went with like, what are three, three food groups that are in movies? Um, but this is the these three characters. <laughs> I wish you did um, that one. Uh, <laughs> I like that. This is uh, Legolas, Aragorn, and Gimli as they're running. Because um, I, I love I, I love that image so much. Because I loved it so much from reading it, and this is a little unfair to Tom uh, because he kind of has a thing about. Well, wait. That's a that's a play. That's not a movie. That's a book. That's not a movie. Lord of the Rings is mainly it's primarily a movie to me. I'm okay with this. Um, but I love that image, and I can see it in my head of the three of them running. And I always it just captured my imagination as a kid when I was reading the Two Towers of the three of them having to run and run and run and run and run. Three of them: this elf, this dude, and this. Poor little dwarf who has these tiny little legs, and he has to run along with them. And Why doesn't one of them carry him? I know it, it just feels so bad. But you know, you can't toss a dwarf. Um, Did they run at the but, same speed? Like, wouldn't he just be way behind them? 
You know, Kelly Wand, in every RPG that I've played, dwarves have not suffered a movement penalty. They have the same <laughs> movement as elves and humans. And but orcs. they've never run that far. I mean, I agree. If you were to really, like, if you were to take your fantasy lower and be more realistic with it, like, say, in a fantasy world where you had cholera or shock, for instance, yeah. the dwarf would only move half as quickly as a human or an elf. I agree. <laughs> the orcs have dyspepsia, too. There's that famous line. But I love these. I love this three, this trio, um, because of what they're doing. They're going to, they're going to rescue, uh, and they're running and they're running and they're running in order to do that. And they might not be entirely successful, or it might take them forever to do it. But I love the mental, <laughs> the image of them running over the plains. Okay, the three of them. You have what? just now put in my head, and I haven't thought of this thing for probably a year, this adorable little video on YouTube where they auto-tune them singing We're Taking the Hobbits to Isengard. Yep. Yep. I now love your 3x3 three three pick. And that's one of the things. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's playing in my head. The tune of it is just going in a loop in my head. They're taking the Hobbits to Isengard. Oh my gosh, dingus. <sighs> yep. So that's my number three. All right. Well, let's see. How can I get this out of my head? Okay. My third favorite trio, and it's actually what inspired this topic, and then numbers one and two fell into place later. Uh, Lucy Liu, Drew Barrymore, oh, Cameron Jesus. Diaz. Why are you going, oh, Jesus, Kelly Wand? That what you inspired think? the topic? Yeah. Charlie's Angels, the McGee movies. What's the matter with you? Because Kate Jackson and Jack nope. Smith. Are the- nope. Okay. These are the superior ones. Let's see. Those, if you go back, I haven't done this, but if you were to go back and watch Charlie's Angels, you, the movie, the TV show, you'd be like, oh, God, TV in the 70s was terrible. 30 years from now, if you go back and you watch the McGee movies, you're going to be thinking, man, Cameron Diaz is funny. Lucy Liu is hot. Drew Barrymore, she sure is sassy. Like, that's going to hold up. True. Those are their three characters' names? Uh, <laughs> what are their names? How do you tell them apart? <laughs> Sabrina. What are their traits? I can tell you. Uh, okay. Lucy Liu, her dad is John Cleese, and he thinks that she's really pure as the driven snow, and he is aghast to find out that she is living with the kid from Friends. Uh, Drew Barrymore is... Uh, British? Yep. Uh, I'm sure there's a plot reason for that. I'd have to re-see it. Uh, Cameron Diaz is, is klutzy, and uh, Luke Wilson, I think, is her beau, and when the UPS guy comes to give her a package, she says, oh, you can just put it in my slot. And she has no idea that she's made a dirty Ooh. double entendre. What a klutz. Yep. Uh, and then Drew Barrymore <laughs> is like the, is, she's the sensible one, even though she lives on a boat with Tom Green. Yeah, and she falls for Sam Rockwell, who's evil. <gasps> she also falls for, uh, oh, shoot, who's that Irish guy? Uh, Jason, no, something, Jack Thoreau, just, Justin Thoreau. And she yeah. gets in a fist fight with him that's really somewhat brutal in Charlie's Angels' full throttle. Right. Kelly, one, do you know what McGee has been up to these days? Kevin Costner? No, I don't think he's working with Kevin Costner. He's doing a little show on Fox called Lethal Weapon. Are you familiar with it? Uh, you always fuck you the drive-through on that show. No, it's, oh, this man. is the better I love Lethal that Weapon. Show so much. I love the show. Really? Yeah. See, Wait, you agree with See? You both think that? You both like the Lethal Weapons series, TV series? So I was promoting it before it even aired. Dingus is a recent convert, but it took Dingus having to actually watch it to see how good it was. Dingus, huh. you're down with McGee's TV show, aren't you? 
I'm totally down with it. I think it's I think it's great. I think it's got a great sense of humor. I think it's G-Sol really Hook. well done, and it's a great adaptation of the show. See, I mean, yep. a great ad- adaptation of the movie. I think it's I think it's wonderful, and I'm a huge fan of the movie. And I was really against it, and uh, Tom kept talking about, "Oh, this guy, he's guy. I love this guy." <laughs> I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> Kelly Wan, you're never too old for McGee's Lethal Weapon, starring Is Damon Wayans. Oh, no, no, it's Damon Wayans, who, I know, I know, but in spite of himself, he's not... Which character is he? He's stop it. He's the black guy, right. But Clayne Crawford, Kelly Wan, I think even you could get on board with Clayne Crawford. Clayne Crawford. Yeah, he's awesome. This guy's amazing. Clayne Crawford, he's so good in it, but I shy away from saying his name... Uh, because I keep wanting to say Clayton Crawford, but that's not his name. It's way but, too dignified a name for Clayne. Yeah. yeah. But he's great in it, and he's got – and Tom said this. You know, we were talking about he's got this weird floppy hair, and Tom said that his hair is almost a character in the show. And that's such a great way to put it because I think Mel Gibson's hair is this weird, ah. huge, huge thing that goes on. You can see it in the in – the, in the one sheet, uh, the, the poster, which I actually... Like a mullet. Doesn't he kind of have a mullet thing? It, it kind of feels like that. It's this huge, quaffed thing that's just... It looks like another character. And I forgot that until you said that Kling Crawford's hair, which is more like a, like a flock of seagulls, like, I don't know, it just flops out in the front, and he has to constantly push it back. It is like another character on the show. Yeah. But he's so good. He's so good. Yeah, uh, I think the Lethal Weapon show is really, really, really good. See, Kelly Wand? See? I thought his name was Crane Clawford. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly Wand, what's your second favorite trio in a movie? Wait, what was your number three? Uh, Oh, yeah, Charlie's Angels. And I I used that, because it was McGee, to segue into shilling for for the McGee Lethal Weapon. See what I did? They're lethal three too, because Murtaugh, Riggs, and Joe Pesci, and he's a Three Stooges fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lethal Weapon. Uh, My number two favorite trio in motion picture history is um, Meg Ryan's three characters in Joe versus the Volcano. Oh, I kind of I I like this Kelly Wand. Go ahead. One of them's like a mousy secretary at the beginning who's really shy and like holds a torch for Tom Hanks' character in the same office. And then the second one's like a, a weird debutante and sh- her catchphrase is, I have no opinion. I have nothing to say to that or something. What? It's either uh, that, that or I have no opinion. Uh, uh, her catchphrase is, that doesn't look like anything to me. That is, <laughs> I broke up with that show, by the way. Well, as well you should have. It was terrible. Thing is, now Kelly Wand and I are going to talk about Westworld. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a movie. It's not like the movie. And then the third one's like uh, like Large Marge or something. Or Rosie O'Donnell in Joe vs. the Volcano. So you get three Meg Ryan roles in one. But they're never together, though, so how can they be a trio if they're, the characters are never together? Well, they're always with Tom Hanks. So in a way, she's in the movie the whole time, but she's playing three roles and wearing different clothes. I don't know how they did it. They could have just seen it. <laughs> so uh, this is a very forgiving topic, so I can't very well pull you over or cite you. Uh, and plus, I do I like thought- this pick because I didn't – I thought Joe vs. Volcano was awful, especially considering uh, – shoot, what's his name? J- John Patrick Shanley? Is that the yeah. writer's name? Yeah. Ingleheimer. 
I love that guy from uh, Doubt. Moonstruck. Um, oh, I thought he was the guy that did Doubt. He wrote Moonstruck, too. No, it was his directorial Yeah, review. Shanley, Shanley. Okay. Down. Yeah. Right. So it's weird to me to go back, like, the fact to see, oh, he did this kind of weird comedy... I don't think I've ever seen Moonstruck. That's Cher and Nicolas Cage, right? I know he can get the job, but can he do the job? Exactly. That's like weirdly good writing. And in yeah. that Kelly Wand is what the, uh, you can say that again, tell me about it. And right. they came together, should have been. Like that yeah. guy saying, I know he can get the job, but can he do the job? With all the different intonations going on and on. That's yeah. a great bit. And it, yeah, the, the they came together bit can't hold a candle to that. Um, so anyway, my point being, uh, Joe versus the Volcano is weird enough, and I don't think it really works for me, but I love Meg Ryan in it, doing those weird three different characters. Because I don't know why they did that. Like, why didn't they just have different actors playing the different parts? Well, What's she's the three point? sisters. She's, uh, she's not the secretary. Her, the two are sisters, but they're not related to the secretary, are they? Uh, maybe you're right. Yeah. I don't and know. It's the just, same guy's company, though. Well, here's the thing: is it seems like a something they would do in a the, in a theatrical presentation, like to but make also, some kind of point. Yeah, but the movie's weird, and it's I think a bit yeah, that's true. Weird, but yeah. like Ava Goda plays a Polynesian in it. Oh, that's right! I forgot about that. Yeah, that's so, weird. Oh, yeah, if he'd played three characters, maybe he would have liked it. Should Dingus see Joe versus a volcano? I'd be curious what Dingus thought of it, or if he'd even finish it. It's hard to say. It's one of the ones I couldn't tell. I can't predict Dingus's response to it. I think Dingus would not only appreciate it, I think he would probably like it. Maybe. Go out on a limb there. He doesn't like to be pigeonholed. That's true. I found that out the hard way. <laughs> Dingus, what is your second favorite trio out of all of moviedom? Um, my second favorite trio in all of moviedom. Mm-hmm. Again, this is kind of... I, I had to decide which which part of the trio to uh Oh my god, it's threesome. Fuck. What? You picked threesome. I can no, tell. I did not. The movie um, with uh with one of the Baldwin brothers and Yeah. Ew, and Cheryl and Finn, right? One of the Twin Peaks chicks? No, Lara Flynn Boyle. Uh that's what I just said. I don't know what your deal is. Go ahead, Dingus. No, it's Prince's Bride, you guys. I don't know what you're talking about. So what I had to choose was which three, uh, which I was going to choose for Inigo Montoya and Fezzik to be with. And and because I was going kind of for uh, ineffectual in ways or hapless in ways trios, uh, I'm going to choose Inigo Montoya, Fezzik, and Mazzini as this. I just love that trio as they're, like, as they're on the boat, as they're climbing up the rope. And as they go through that whole uh, thing with uh, going against the Dread Pirate Roberts um, or Wesley. Uh, Dingus, do they ever run together? Yes, they do. Okay. There should be a a funny mix-up of that on YouTube. But they also sail, which is more important. Uh, The sailing is the more important thing. But I just love – I really love the way – uh, the three of them work together uh, comically on that, especially on the boat as they're going across uh, the waters. Uh, it's weird to eel me. Eel-infested waters. It's weird to me that people knew who Andre the Giant was. Like, I love him in that movie, but I guess he's from wrestling or something, right? Like, 
yeah, like yeah. people people watching Princess Bride, it would be like us watching um, oh something with The Rock, for instance, Dwayne Johnson. Right. But we don't know him from wrestling, though. No. But that's the thing. Like like when when people are sad about oh Andre the Giant is dead, I only know oh, yeah the guy from Princess Bride. That's my only context for that guy, and he's 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 certainly he's great in that, and he's super fun. But I have no concept of him from outside of Princess Bride. I I connect him more rather than The Rock because I think uh, Dwayne Johnson is much more accomplished uh, to play into your like little idea of him being better than Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of, I think of him more in the in the in the world of John Cena, uh, who I think is really good, but I don't think he I don't think he's got a lot of range. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was just on an episode of Saturday Night Live, or a, yeah, episode. Yeah, he was on Saturday Night Live, and you could definitely see that they weren't quite sure what to do with him. <laughs> well, he he was he was he's really funny in Trainwreck. Um, he's fine in um, a couple uh, in an episode of Parks and Rec, uh, but I don't think he's got a lot of range, and yeah. I wouldn't put him in the in the same category that I would put Dwayne Johnson. Um, and and I love. I love Andre the Giant, and he's just so uh, he's so lovable in this. And it's kind of sad that you know you watch it with your kid. You're watching Princess Bride, which is a fun movie, and you have to say, "Yeah, that guy, that dude, is dead now. He just dropped dead." Um, uh, but I, I love the three of them as this sad, ineffectual trio. Uh, you could really make your son sad watching Princess Bride by showing him the kinds of movies that Carrie Elways is doing these days. I won't. Man, that poor guy. Jeez. Uh, my second. Let's, let's let's watch Days of Thunder and start there. Oh, he's in. Da- well, he's yeah. Okay. Well, that's yeah. That's considerably better than the kind of stuff. He's like in crappy, no budget horror movies and stuff. Hmm. Yeah. You know, oh, really? Because he he started being like a bad guy in Days of Thunder. Right. Like also Twister and, and yeah, Top Gun. Gun. Yeah, he's always a bad guy. But, uh, no, maybe it's not Robin Hood. He's doing like uh, like the, the male leads in Terrible. I saw him as a sheriff in something recently, which is horrible. Oh, really? Uh, but yeah, he's doing like no-budget horror movies, and it's kind of sad. Uh, he's in The Crush. Let, <laughs> let me tell you one that's not sad. My second favorite trio from a movie, uh, and I love how different they are from each other. And actually, this one is kind of sad in the context of the movie. Um it's uh, it's Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, and um, Steve Buscemi in Big Lebowski, yeah. uh, and how much how each of them is a, is a very different character, but they feel so natural, like sitting together when they're bowling and stuff, uh, and the the rapport that they have, and the whole shut the fuck up, Donnie, and John Goodman's expansiveness, Jeff Bridges being like laid back. Uh, I just love they're such a great centerpiece for Big Lebowski. Uh, that I could only think of one trio better, which we'll get to shortly, in all of moviedom than those three in Big Lebowski. So this now brings us to our absolute favorite trios. Kelly Wand, what do you have for us? The best trio in all of moviedom is? Uh, I'll leave, do a line from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, leave the cannoli. Uh, shoot that guy. There's a trio in the gun? <laughs> well, the brothers... Like, uh, Sonny and Fredo and Michael, that's my favorite trio, because they all represent, like, different uh, lobes of the human brain. There's three lobes in a human brain? Yeah. Did not know that. Uh, Is Sonny James Caan? Yeah. Yeah. Santino. And then Fredo's John Cazal. And then 
uh, Michael's Al Pacino. But wait, Robert Duvall is the fourth brother. He's not. But that's from another mother. He's adopted. <laughs> he's, like, he's like the stepbrother, right? Right. Yeah. And so it's just like you get the three stages of man, kind of. Like so John Cazale gets put, gets put down. What happens to James Caan? He gets shot at the toll booth. At the toll booth. He oh, that wow. That's his. De- oh, that's an iconic death. Uh, yeah. And does because they, that- they think they tell him that his his stupid brother in law is beating up uh, Talia Shire again. He gets super pissed off and he drives there, but it's all a ruse because uh, what's his name? I forget the brother in law's name. Carlo. Thank you, Dingus. You're welcome. Accepting that thought in my head. Uh, what happens to Al Pacino in the very end of everything? I've never seen Godfather Three. Uh, he has a heart attack with an orange in his hand. That's a true. lie. That's a lie. You're thinking of Marlon Brando. All right, I guess oh. I'll have to see Godfather 3 to find That's out. That's the thing. They both have heart attacks. Is that yeah, true? Al Pacino, yeah, Al Pacino yeah, swallows a bug, I think. <laughs> it's a bomb. All right, I mean, what, are you talking about Godfather 3? Uh, no, I meant what he swallows, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> It's kind of the Jedi of the Godfather trilogy. Jeez. Dingus, what's your third, oh, first favorite trio in all of moviedom? All right. Uh, these are the characters' names. Grimm, Phyllis, and Loomis. What? Silent Running, the robots? <laughs> nope. There's only two of them. Oh. Aren't there two robots? Grimm, the... No, it's Huey, Dewey, and Louie. So Grimm, Phyllis, and Loomis... Uh, and here's here's one of my favorite lines from the movie. Uh, it's bad luck just seeing a thing like that. Uh, and this is from the movie Quick Change. Um, and this is a weird little bank robbery. It's not really heist, but a bank robbery movie uh, that stars um, Bill Murray as Grimm, uh, Gina Davis as Phyllis, and Randy Quaid as Loomis on this terrible uh, plan to... Uh, uh, knock over a bank where Bill Murray is dressed as a clown, and then they have to try to find their way out of Manhattan to an airport to get out of, and they can't do it. They can't get out of Manhattan to the airport. Uh, it's they run these all kinds like it's kind of you know planes, trains, and automobiles. And it's my another of my favorite like little moments is the Bluff Tooney cab moment uh, but I love this trio of characters I love the way that the three of them work together I love the weird romantic connection and the sad brother connection um, and all of their mishaps uh, Quick Change is one of my favorite little movies that I don't think enough people have seen does so Quick that's... Change take place all in one day is it one of those kind of things yeah it's yeah. like Empire Strikes Back it takes place in one day <laughs> and Bill, Bill Murray's like and like, Lord of the Rings is dressed as a clown the whole time, right? No, not the whole time. Oh, I think it... When does he get a chance to take off his clown makeup? That's disappointing. When he it comes really, out of John no. Hurt's stomach. <laughs> oh, wait. No, never mind. It stays right. Tom, do, we, do we know who directed Quick Change? Yeah, it, it was actually co-directed by a guy named uh, Howard Franklin and another dude named Bill Murray. What? Bill Murray co-directed it? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's got to be good. All right. It, it is. I, I mean, I just, I just love it. It has so many great little moments and so many weird little absurd moments. Um, and, and it's just this weird, 
if you've ever been in New York or understand the way New York works, the idea of escaping from New York, uh, it's got that great, that great aspect to it. Like, how are we going to get to, how are we going to get to an airport? I mean, these are where the airports are. How are we going to, we can't get a cab. We can't, we can't drive our car. Um, I mean, there's so many, uh, oh man, I just, I, I have such a warm place in my heart for, uh, um, for a quick change. Okay, there's a movie called Walk of Shame where Elizabeth Banks has, for the first time in her life, a one-night stand across L.A. And she's got to get up in the morning for a very important – because she's like a news anchor. She's got to be for a very important broadcast like across town. And the whole movie is about her being unable to cross Los Angeles and the contortions that this thing goes through to make it difficult for her to like, get on the bus or get a cab or just call someone on the phone. It's ridiculous. So the thing is, how hard? Why can't they just get a cab to the airport and then fly out of New York? It's difficult to move around in Manhattan in, in a totally different way than it's difficult to move around Los Angeles. Get a cab. They try that, and then they have this problem with a bus, and their their cabbie can't speak English properly, and also the airports are situated differently. I mean, you've got one that's way off in. New Jersey, you've got one that's over in Queens. Um, so there's one, I mean, the one in New Jersey isn't even in the same state, and that's considered the New York airport. I mean, it's very difficult to get out of New York City. What's the Martin Scorsese thing of Griffin Dunn, where it's like one night in New York and he's just. After he's hours? Get, yeah, yeah. Isn't that the same thing? Like, he, he could just normally call a cab, but John Landis has to come up with some way that. Oh, they right, right. Right. Yeah, like cabs shut down at night. Please, I saw a Taxi Driver. I know how it works. That's true. <laughs> All right, my favorite director, trio. What's that, Kelly Wand? The director of After Hours hadn't seen it. You should check. <laughs> you should check that out. Yeah, maybe meet that Scorsese guy. It could help him in his career. Yeah. Uh, my favorite trio is uh, a group of fellows played by Roy Scheider. Ah, uh, good one. Richard Dreyfuss and Robert Shaw. Ooh. And because it's not a no, it, please. Uh, and because it's not a trio, like it's not a trio movie for the longest time. And you meet these other characters, and they glom together into this trio at the end of the movie. And these guys are effectual, Dingus. Unlike your trios, these guys get the job done. They kill the shark well, and, and they save Amity. Why are you going well? Well, one of them. They, if they'd had a bigger boat, it still would have been better. <laughs> well, they get the job done. They don't survive it, but they do get the job done. Uh, yeah. One of them doesn't quite make it, unfortunately. Uh, but again, like uh, Big Lebowski, they're all different, very, very different characters, very different from each other. Um, that is unfortunate what happens to... To Quint? Yeah. I know, I feel bad for him. Unfortunate. <laughs> he kind of asks yeah. for it, though. Like, things would have, by the way, things would have gone much smoother if he wasn't a jerk. Like, if he didn't yeah. burn the engine out... The shark would have gotten tired, and they would have pulled it in. Like, it's him getting pissed off. Here's the thing. Hooper's like, Quint, ease off on the engine. And Hooper's like, no. And he just pushes it forward just petulantly because yeah. he's mad that, that Hooper's trying to correct him. And he's just yeah. being prideful and stupid. And that's what burns out the engine so they eventually get sunk, and he gets eaten. Like, if he had, just, if he had just been, like, acknowledged. Or actually, if even, uh, well, if Richard Dreyfuss hadn't said anything, he still would have burned out the engine, I guess. Um, I think Quint... Totally defeated the shark. Mm. Jesus. In the, in the, is doing a meme. 
<laughs> in the book, I guess he did, right? Like, cause well, the shark, in the book, the shark, just, the shark just gets tired in the book, right? And it drowns. Brody's screaming with his eyes shut at the end. And then when he opens his eyes, the shark's, the shark's floating down. And that's the yeah. end of the book. It's really stupid. Hmm. After 300 pages, that's the last page. Like, ah. Let's see what the listeners have to say about their trios. Paul Weimer writes, Hi, guys. Three is a magic number, so a trio of choices of trios. Number three, the titular witches of Eastwick. Suki, Michelle Pfeiffer, Alexandra, Cher, and Jane, Susan Sarandon. Hmm. Kelly, I feel like this one's for you. The trio of ape judges in Planet of the Apes in 1968. (laughs) At one point during the trial of Taylor, played by Charlton Heston... Upset at the accused's words about humans and apes, one of the judges covers his mouth, another covers his ears, uh, and the third covers his eyes. See? Rod Serling's <laughs> preaching it. In King Gehedra, giant monsters uh, all-out attack, I like a it. trio of monsters rise up to protect Japan against Godzilla. The four-legged dinosaur-like Baragon... The giant flying insect-like Mothra, and the uh, t- titular draconic King Gehedra with a trio of heads. Wow. Yeah, isn't he the trio? I honestly thought that Mon Mothma in this movie was played by Robin Wright Penn. In House of Cards? No. That made up. <laughs> you guys didn't think that? The Mon Mothra act? Moth- Mothma Mon actress? Mothra. No, her name was Genevieve O'Reilly, and I, right, I right. thought that that they had somehow revived the Mon Mothma from the other ones because I thought that she was a really good placement. Well, there were times I was looking at her and thinking, "Oh, that's Robin Wright Penn." That's oh, that right. but it wasn't. Huh? But yeah, she did look good. Mon Mothma, though, dingus. To be fair, ninety percent of it is the haircut. <laughs> yeah, All right, fair enough. Andrew She, Uli Franz, and Dieter. Oh, the nihilists from Big Lebowski. That's good. They believe in nothing and will cut off your Johnson. (laughs) What's he need that for? Uh, Isn't one of them played by Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers, or am I mistaken? Another trio. Red 2, Red 3, and Red 5, a.k.a. Wedge Antilles, Biggs Darklighter, and Luke Skywalker. Uh. Andrew Shee, Red 2, Red 3, and Ray 5, that's not a trio. That's a quintuplet. That's five, at least, if not more. It's it's a squad. Yeah. Why is he? Andrew, you can't just pick three people out of a group of six or eight or whatever and call them a trio. I might have to throw Andrew in jail. Let me see what he has to say here. Porkins weighs the same as the other three. This trio of X-Wings made the third and final trench run on the Death Star. Okay, that, okay, um... All right. Fair enough. If if they did something discreet together, separate from the rest of Rogue Squad or Red and Squad, a trio took them out. A trio of Tie Fighters. Didn't you like right. the way that they drafted some of that in? Do you Rogue mean have had another Porkins blow up? <laughs> like, Not another Porkins, but a fat guy is like a fat guy blowing up. Uh, eh. Maybe he's thin in Rogue One, and then he gets depressed because everyone's died. So I was wondering, where does, like, so the Empire can just put a shield around a whole planet? Mm. Like, they can do that? Mm-hmm. Seems no, like that's... Why didn't they do that in Jedi? Yeah. Yeah, right. oh. It's useful technology there. Uh, let's see, oh, so... Uh, it does. 
It's like, what? At least it's an ethos. Thing is, you can't be making Big Lebowski references about Star Trek. You're crossing oh. the streams. Star Trek, huh? Star Wars. God damn it. I mean, gosh darn it. Uh, Andrew well, Sheet continues. Shut up. As you will recall, Luke fired the decisive proton torpedo. Biggs gave his life protecting Luke, and Wedge ran away after receiving a minor hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wedge Antilles would go on to become one of the most beloved figures in Star Wars fandom. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think he gets wounded in the other two also. It's like, oh, hilarious. Flesh wound, gotta go. Uh, and Paul made a similar comment, but Andrew makes a very kind comment about us being one of his favorite trios in movies. Aw. Oh, thank you. Uh, let's see. Arthur Ginvanal Jelly writes, number three, Up, the trio of Carl Fredrickson, Russell, and Doug. <laughs> <laughs> Can you be a trio if you're like it's a different species? Yeah, you know what? Fair enough. I'm not, I'm not going to be pulling people over. That's a good one. Funny, touching, and loyal. These three are part of what makes Up so special. Number two. Oh, Unforgiven. Clint Eastwood, Morgan Freewood, and James Wolvet. Freewood. Freeman. Freewood. <laughs> Freeman. That's my... Sorry, <laughs> Arthur Jim Vanilla Jelly. He actually wrote it correctly. I read it wrong. Uh, they form a trio of bounty hunters out to claim the whore's, <laughs> the whore's gold. It's not as dirty as it sounds. It's really something in the movie. The group consists of two old friends and one big-mouthed first-timer, making for some interesting dynamics that the actors played very well. Uh, that James Wolvitz guy, I don't think he ever did anything else, did he? No, he didn't. I wonder whatever happened to him. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars. Arthur. Oh, yeah. Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, and Leia Organa are the first three that come to mind when I think of movie trios. Why is he excluding Chewbacca, uh, no, Obi-Wan uh, Kenobi, R2-D2, yeah. C-3PO, uh, the, the little uh, practice ball, the holographic, <laughs> the holographic figures on the chess Uncle table? Uncle Owen. Uncle Owen. Oh, how about that lingering shot of the baru of that blue milk? In, uh, yeah, did you guys catch nice. that? Yeah, but uh, how about the the actual like physical physical bits of the holographic chess table? Did you see that? Yeah, I, I, yeah. As, as a guy who plays a lot of board games, I did appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I do. Uh, Arthur, okay, fair enough. He says there are a lot of sidekicks in play here. That's what Arthur, how Arthur characterizes them. But I think these three are the core characters on which the original trilogy is based. Actually, that's a fair point. Chewbacca yeah, is a so. sidekick, yeah. And Alec Guinness is like the mentor that has to die, kind of. More like right. the actor core characters. <laughs> Justin D. Hurd says, forgive me, my thoughts are a bit scattershot. I just got hit with another set of migraines. Wait, what? Oh. Uh, sorry, Justin saying he said migraines, so he had a hard time with this. Uh, <laughs> and he says he screwed up your 3x3 three three last week. Kelly Wan, apparently you said something really mean to Justin Hurd, and you What'd gave I him say? a migraine. I don't know. But he's, to get back at you, Kelly Wand, he's picking a movie from the director of The Gray. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, David Ayers? Smoke and Aches Aces by Joe Carnahan. This is definitely one of those guilty pleasure movies for me. It is big, stupid fun, but it's nowhere better demonstrated than with the Tremor brothers. What's even more surprising is that two out of the three brothers... Uh, are played by Kevin Durand. Oh, I didn't realize that. Wow. Who keeps popping up as the requisite dick in movies. And, I love this bit, Captain James Tiberius Kirk himself, Chris Pine, hmm. in one of the weirdest but strangely compelling, most compelling roles I've seen. 
Wow. I forgot they were brothers. Oh, wow, Kevin Durand is in there. I didn't realize that. Uh, in fact, Justin writes, I don't know how we feel about this. He would be an interesting joker if he lost the accent but continued down that odd path. Hmm. Chris Pine is the joker. You guys okay with that? Kevin yeah, Durant's that guy goes, ha, cha, cha, cha. Isn't he? <sighs> Kelly Wan, I'm so disappointed in you. Big nose. He's good. I like Kevin him. Durant, he's kind of like Titus Welliver before Titus Welliver was Titus Welliver. Ah, we'll put Tom. Uh, yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, Justin concedes that a Chris Pine Joker, not as interesting as Zach Woods, but he said it would still get his attention. Uh, he says they steal every scene they're in, um, and it's awesome they kill Ben Affleck in what would be a shocking scene. It's more so when Chris Pine climbs on top of Ben Affleck and starts having a conversation with him, absolving his guilt and killing him because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, this is one for you, Kelly Wand. Boon Raku. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, in a world with no guns, a mysterious drifter, a bartender, and a young samurai plot revenge against a ruthless leader and his army of thugs. Uh, it's apparently a martial arts movie. It feels as oh. if... Justin writes, it feels as if Tarsim created an all-too-clean city and took Nicholas Winding Riefen's stark, contrasting colors. Uh, he, says it com- he says it combines samurai films, spaghetti westerns, film noir, and, your favorite, Kelly Wand, anime. Uh, all right, I'm not saying it. <laughs> uh, here we go. Ryan Johnson's The Brothers Bloom. Interesting choice. Because uh, I seem to recall there were just two of them plus Rachel Weiss. Let's find out what Justin says. That's well, Keith Ledger get... or Matt Damon, right? Uh, that's Grimm. Other brothers. Right, thank you. Who are the brothers? It's Mark Ruffalo, right? And Wahlberg. No. Well, maybe uh, Justin will say. He says, while I'll get some flack for this, I consider Brothers Bloom to be the best Wes Anderson movie ever made, despite Wes what? Anderson having nothing to do with it. Oh. It's about a trio of con men – no, it's two of them in Rachel Weisz, if I'm not mistaken – that set their sights on an eccentric heiress for one last con. The movie stars – oh, here we go uh, – Mark Ruffalo, Adrian Brody, and – oh, I like this – a pre-Pacific Rim, Rinko Kikuchi. Uh-huh. Mm. While Ruffalo and Brody play the titular brothers Bloom, Kikuchi steals the show as the silent but charming Bang Bang. Hmm. Although Rachel Weiss is another key player, uh, yeah, she comes in. Uh, he said this would have also been his best his pick for cons, three by threes of cons. Uh. Nick D's three best trios. For Kelly, the trio is Bill Cosby, Raquel Welch, and Harvey Keitel. Other uh, jugs at speed. It's great exactly one. from 1976. Hilariously bizarre black comedy, and who can go wrong with Raquel Raquel Welch as the titular? Jugs. Yeah. Which one's mother then? <laughs> Kelly, I just want you to relish that turn of phrase. The titular Jugs of titular Ra- jugs played by Raquel Welch. Welch see? Yeah. <laughs> Dingus, here's one for you. This trio is Adrian Brody, Owen uh, Wilson, uh-huh. and Jason uh-huh. Schwartzman in Darjeeling, Limit- Darjeeling Limited, the best trio from a Wes Anderson movie, all perfectly in tune with each other and the tone of their director. Nice. That's for you, Dingus. And for mm-hmm. me, Ah, here we go. He says, a trio that I'm sure has already been chosen, Brody, Quint, and Hooper. Aw. Have there ever been three characters who played off each other better than those three? Nick, the answer to that, no. Mm. What movie was that from? Uh, Air Bud 2, Air Delight. (laughs) (laughs) 
Chris Markinson. I think it was I want to see that afternoon delight. Chris Markinson. Oh, this is for you, Kelly Wan. He doesn't say it's for you, but I'm pretty sure it's for you. Dave Bowman, Frank Poole, and Hal. Ah. It's mostly the Dave and Hal show in 2001, but I do enjoy the scenes where all three characters are interacting together. That's I agree with choice. the monolith. I agree with the monolith. Uh, I feel like this one's for you, Dingus. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. By far my best favorite TV trio. Markinson. Oh, but then he continues. They have made an excellent transition to the big screen. With Fair enough. Movies with the same characters. I guess he's picking out, and this is fine, he's not picking out specific characters from specific movies, but from a franchise. Although I don't know why he wouldn't pick uh, Picard, Geordi, and Riker. Yeah, or Cisco, um, Buffy, oh. and uh, Iron Man. I love that Tom knows the name Geordi. Geordi. <laughs> See, I know my Star Trek. I'm tricking you guys. I'm a big fan he's- of Next Generation. Next Generation, I feel, is way better than TOS, TOS, the original series. Uh, Chris Markinson's number one pick since 2001 was for you, Kelly, and since Star Trek was for you, Dingus. Nice! Uh, I'm going to take this one for myself. He picks... I don't know how I feel about this. Chris Markinson, I might... I'm just feeling feeling a little authoritarian, which is appropriate for us here in the U.S. I might be throwing you in jail, Markinson, for this one after I consult with Kelly Wand and Dingus. Chris Markinson's number one. The narrator, Marla, and Tyler... Uh, in Fight Club. Uh, uh, so Norton's not in it. Oh wait, he's the narrator. Yeah, I see. Uh, tight fit. Well, Markinson, I think saves his bacon, his Canadian bacon, by saying there's only two people granted, but the three are very compelling personalities. So as uh, a trio of personalities, Markinson, I think you uh, you're, you're safe. That's three loads of the brain. Well, you're fine. Yeah. Uh, other runners-up, I'm sure you guys had Charlie's Angels in your runners-up, so sorry to scoop you on that. Did you guys have any runners-up? I had the that dude in Holy Grail who says one of them snoring. Could you give us some lines from it, maybe, so that I might remember? Oh, one parrot is two. No, nights you say knee. Something like that. Yeah, very good. I remember that scene, sure. Yeah. And, uh... Also, Jules and Jim, I guess. It's like an old grandpa movie. There's like a lady in it. Oh, God. And yeah, the silent running robots, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Oh, I didn't realize there were three. That is good. Uh, Do you know my history with Jules and Jim? No. Why don't you have a few bars? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dig, send you runners up. I don't have any. All right, then. Kelly Wand, what is next week's 3x3? Wait, you're going to tell me the story? Oh, it's just, it's the longest outstanding rental I ever had from Netflix. Like, it used to be you would get DVDs from Netflix, you know, you'd cycle three of them, and then one of them would sort of clog up the queue for a while. I think I had Jules and Jim out for well over a year, and I watched part of it, and was like, you know what, I'm never going to make it through this, and just sent it back. Uh, People don't do that anymore, because they have streaming now from Netflix, but in the old days, you know, you would get a vid, you would have one slot for, like, the obligatory chore movie, like some foreign film. (laughs) Right. And Wilson squatted in that slot for literally over a year. It was a long time. I have dreams a lot where I have, I find a movie that I forgot to return, and I'm like, oh, shit, I'm going to owe thousands Ah. of dollars. Yeah. You never have that? $37 for Havana. Yeah, it's always something dumb. What is that from? 
What is that from? Uh, it's from uh, an episode of Seinfeld where... Oh, my God, Dingus is doing TV. Yeah. Dingus, until Seinfeld is adapted into a movie, you can't make Seinfeld references on this podcast. But okay. he, has to return, he finally returns the tape because... Eh, never mind. Uh, well, yeah. All right, well, Kelly Wand, what is this week's 3x3? Three three? What do you got for well, us? Well, uh, this is one... Participate, by the way. Oh, I'll get to that. But the topic first is um, inspired by this week's movie because, in my opinion, a prequel is always a dumb idea because it usually suggests that there was information in the original movie that we didn't have. So um, they're usually unnecessary, and they wind up screwing up as originally good without telling you anything new. So I was trying to think of three movies that need prequels, in your opinion. Like oh. that you would actually want a prequel for. It seems like even coming up with three would be tough for me, and therefore fun for everyone. So if you wish to participate in this mental challenge, send your nominations of three movies that, in your opinion, need prequels to 3x3 at quarter to three dot com. I don't think of any, any anime needs prequels, so... <laughs> I totally disagree with that. Yeah, uh, anime, anime is so I right. think most it's anime only, needs... Yeah. It never does. No, it's super... We also we need to know specifically why the plot of the anime needs a prequel. What is it about the plot and the characters that require a prequel? We need to know that, Kelly Wand. That's Especially the, the character anime names. Is, we need to know the character no, names no. and why they need to be... self-explanatory. <laughs> it's the mm. easiest thing. Like, it really does write itself. And it's almost like you don't even need the movies because you already know that stuff. Like, Kelly, you don't one, even need can, anime. can I tell you something sad? All right. One person on this podcast has not seen La La Land. <gasps> oh. I know. So let's fix that and do a La La Land podcast next week. Yay! Wait, which one of us... It, like, uh, oh, man, this is so... I'm in suspense. Which one of us hasn't seen that? <laughs> well, we'll find out. Uh, join us next week for a La La Land podcast and a discussion of which... La anime, La. Well, then, Kelly, I have to let them know a discussion of which anime movies need prequels. And if you want to throw in some other non-anime, that's okay. But mainly we're looking for anime movies that movies. need prequels. Right? Not anime. <laughs> non anime movies that need prequels. Anime will automatically be uh <laughs> Yes, Kelly Wand, are you you laying down are you making some sort of an executive action your first Well it's uh, not a movie. Yeah, I'm uh it's gonna be a smooth transition. But we're gonna get Mexico to pay for it. The transition. God. You know, it's yeah. easy for you to make jokes about that over there in the safety of Germany, you know. You should be more yeah, sensitive. Super to safe over over here, there's no <laughs> shenanigans going on in Germany. It's nice and peaceful. It's Why couldn't we have life. Angela Merkel in charge? I know. Why, right? did, why does why does she get a blaster and I don't? Anyway, See, Kelly, we're gonna be having to hear a lot more of this kind of stuff from Dingus for the weeks to come. Dingus, what's uh, the last name of the guy who directed Patriot Games? Uh, his name is Noise. <laughs> Yeah. And on that note, I am Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian Malinsky. This is Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. La la then la 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 la.
dingus. Let's. We should make a prequel about the movie where uh, we find out how uh, the Death Star plans uh, got ter- put onto the disc in the first place. Like they like like wrote the code for that. That'd be a cool it, prequel. It's high. It's very high. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! See? He's my Jedi. Horses in him. I don't need luck. I have you. God. I have you, 3PO. (laughs) I find that answer vague and unconcerned. Uh, 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 no, Vader, stop. Oh.